Hello, everybody. Welcome to It Was Tuesday with your host, James Chen, a.k.a. Jay Chenzor. That would be me. And we are going to be talking all about the France premiere coming up here right now. And uh, needless to say, the results are going to shock you. <laughs> not a clickbait here if you guys are tuning in. And I'm not talking about who won and who didn't win. I'm talking about character stats over here. So... If you guys remember, after the Singapore premiere, we did a bunch of analysis on the character stats usage. Uh, so that is what I am going to talk about today from the France CPT, because the France CPT threw everything <laughs> completely out of whack over here. Uh, I mean, let's review the Singapore stats real quick. Just so we can catch up to where we were. Whoops, this is the wrong screen here. Let's do that. There we go. So this is the Singapore premiere over here. Uh, if you actually look at it, remember we saw that Ken, JP, and Luke just completely dominated the top 64. Like, that was it. Like, Manon and Ryu didn't even show up at all. And everybody else was kind of low. Except for Chun-Li and DJ. So Chun-Li and DJ doing pretty decently over here. But literally, Luke, JP, and Ken dominated. But, you know, kind of fell off as things went on. You can see Luke dropped a lot. But there was a lot of JPs. And the JPs stayed pretty dominant for a long point until we got to top 8. And of course, Kakeru was the only one standing here. So that was kind of the situation that we had from the Singapore premiere, if you guys remember that, right? And yeah, you're all going to be like, one guile? What's going on? I mean, I don't know, Lurker Spine. You might actually be kind of right, because once we start moving to the France premiere, oh boy, this actually threw everything out of whack. Okay, like everything that we knew, like I was like, all right, so Singapore premiere showed us that clearly JP, Luke and Ken are the best characters in the game. You know, JP was dominating, but I was still insistent that I don't think JP is the best character, that I think Ken and Luke are still stronger than JP. I know a lot of people disagree with that, but I really do think Ken and Luke are the strongest characters. And even Angry Bird has been talking about how Luke is potentially stronger than Ken. And so, you know, my order was Ken, Luke, and JP, but a lot of people will tell you JP is the best, and a lot of people will tell, and now some people are starting to talk about Luke being better than um, uh, Ken, <laughs> especially what we saw with uh, Chris Wong versus Valmaster when Luke decided to do 70% damage in one combo. <laughs> Oh my god. I mean, yes, for sure Angry Bird is, you know, people are going to say he's a Ken player. So, of course, he's going to say Luke is better. But, you know, let's let's take a look at these results over here from the Singapore premiere. I'm France premiere. Let's get into it because this is really fascinating. So, the first thing I want to point out was that at the Singapore premiere, of course, two characters did not show up at all in the top 64. And that was Manon and Ryu. These two characters just had no representation whatsoever at the top 64 of the Singapore premiere. So, are we going to see the same thing? Are Manon and Ryu going to suffer here once we actually move to the EU side of things? Well, very fascinating. And before we start, does anybody know 
what character Moose TTV Dodd played, or Phoenix Ryuzetsu, or Wooly played. Those are the characters I want to know because they're the three that I do not have the results on start.gg. Start.gg and Top64, they did a good job putting up all the information of who used what characters. But these three characters were DQ'd. I don't know why, but they had played previous matches. They were DQ'd from the Top64 and they had no results. But immediately when you look at this, the first thing that stands out is that there are zero Akis. And Aki is the only character that has no representation and the funny thing is a character that I consider really really strong Blanca is literally one <laughs> Blanca and I think we all know who that Blanca is but it's surprising to me to see so many Bl so few Blancas representing but let's go to the other side of the things over here Ken is at 7.5 so Ken and Luke is at 6 so still very, very strong. Now, uh, from some sources that I've looked at, uh, one of these three players here might also be a Luke player as well. And one might be a Jamie player. So Jamie might actually be at 1.5. Luke might actually be at 7. I don't know what the last one is, but... Uh like I said, if anybody happens to know, I tried looking up these players. I couldn't find out. I couldn't find who they mained. So if anybody with better Google Foo than I do can find them. Uh, but the other thing that stands out here is now up with Ken and Luke is Cammy. A Cammy is a character that I have famously said is not as strong as I think, uh, as, as I don't think is as strong as other people do. Now, if you remember from the Singapore premiere uh, stats over here, I talked about the precipitous drop of Luke, JP, and Ken as we go up here. Like, JP stayed up there, but Ken and Luke went from 10.5 and 9.5 to 3.5 and 2.5. One of the things that uh, I was talking about is that, um, you know, characters carry, right? Characters definitely carry. And so what we're looking at here, are we going to see the same thing from Ken and Luke and especially Cammy here, right? This is a massive outlier. Seven Cammies here in the top 64. This is really, really, really impressive. Oh, uh, Blanca and Honda. The last one was uh, da, uh, uh, Mouse T Moose TV. Is a, so he's a Honda player. Interesting. Okay. So let's throw Honda up here a little bit. So that's down to one. So Mouse, Moose TV Dodd is a Honda player. Wally is a Blanca player. Oh, so we actually do have two Blanca players. Okay, nice. That's good. So let's move Blanca up a little bit here. And then you said Yuzetsu is Dalsum. Dang, good job. How did you find this information, dude? Your Google Foo is better than mine, Lurker Spine. I'll tell you that much right now. All right, so if that if that's accurate, and, you know, even if it's not accurate, we're, it's good enough. This is close enough, close enough. Uh, uh, Katy Perry, when the next synchronizes, not sure, maybe tomorrow, maybe tomorrow. Uh, I'll have to talk to Olaf about that. But with Hinaku dropping, I'm sure he's going to be wanting to talk about that. But 
Uh, yeah, Cami at seven. This is really interesting. Now, everything else here seems pretty normal here. We've got a large amount of DJs and Chun-Li's, just as we did in Singapore. Chun-Li six and DJ five over here. Now we have five DJs and four Chun-Li's. We have a surprising amount of Hondas and Giles here. Now, last time, uh, Honda only had two and Guile, there was only one the entire time. Uh, this time, we have four of each of these, but... Uh, the thing that is all completely messed up and confusing here is not this, this, this is the surprise here. We went from 10.5 JPs in top 64, where he maintained a 6.5 in top 32, to only three JPs in top 64 at all. Now... I have heard, I have heard that Japan believes in JP so much more <laughs> than uh, a lot of the other world. Now, obviously, everyone thinks JP is strong, but apparently Japan is in particular, or Asia in particular, is really big into JP. So that makes sense why we would see so much more JP in the Singapore top 64 than in France. It's only three JP's here. Um, do I think Cami is not able to stun after two combos? Uh, I don't know what you mean by that. There's no stunning in this game. Do you mean killing in two combos? <laughs> um, uh, it could be a mass the mass DQ of Japanese players. But uh, Gundam Jehudi Kai even says JP is not a common sight online in Europe. Which is really, really, really interesting. But... Yes, this is the thing here, as Shay says, that this top 64 might not be a representation of the actual strength of the characters. Whoops, now I can get rid of this here, like that, because we have all 64 here. However, this is really, this is really interesting because, and for my, for my satisfaction of being able, and this is spoilers on getting to top 32, uh, as I said, you know, characters can carry, right? But how strong are they in the long run? Are they able to carry players to the highest levels? In other words, if you use someone like a Luke, can Luke carry you beyond your means, etc., etc.? Well, the most interesting stat for me as we jump to top 32 is that Cami. Because <laughs> we go from seven Camis... <laughs> to one. <laughs> so, as I've always said, Cami is a very difficult character to use. <laughs> and Cami is very, very, very hard at high levels, in my opinion. I still think Punk makes Cami look way stronger than she actually is. And so we have the situation here where we literally go from seven Camis to one Cami. <laughs> We lost every single Cami in existence. And what's interesting is we go from three juries to one jury as well. Some people, a lot of jury players these days are saying jury is not nearly as strong as a lot of people think she was. And the results from this and the Singapore tournament support that. So in top 64 at Singapore, there was only two Camis and 1.5 juries. 
And then basically jury disappeared. Oh no, there's a 0.5 jury and one Cammy in top 32. I'm starting to think jury and Cammy are two characters that are not nearly as strong as a lot of people say they are. The results I'm starting to get here is that Cammy and jury are characters that are highly carried by the quantity of people that use them because of the fact that one, Cammy, you know, if you don't know how to fight Cammy, she's just gonna dive kick all over you. And Jury just might be harder to navigate than people think, as I found out, as I tried to use her, and I was like, this character is awkward as hell. <laughs> Jury is very weird. So it's really interesting to see Cammy and Jury uh, having so much trouble here. But we did obviously lost some characters, right? Like I have Aki as zero here, but I don't list the zeros up here anymore. One of the interesting things about this though is not just Cami and Jury, but JP goes from three character usages. Uh, for those of you who already didn't look, <laughs> how many JPs do you think are in top 32 at this point? Zero. <laughs> JP in the top 32 at France is the only other character besides Aki that has zero usage. In top 32, every character was represented by a player, whether they were played or not. For example, Marisa.5 was, uh, I forgot which player it was. Um, Shoot, one of the players uh, that that is, uh, oh dude, Fix Aki, yeah, for sure. <laughs> Faye jumps in the chat and says, Fix Aki. Look, she, <laughs> she definitely needs some help. Uh, the JP players here, uh, let's take a look at this. If we go over here in the top uh, 64 here, the JP players were cent ripe. So we've got center ripe over here. Um, and then we have, what was the other one? Thorox. And then, um, let's see here. Do, 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 do. Don't see JP here. Um, and Kyungster, Kyungster, Kyungster. So Kyungster, obviously a very, very strong JP player, right? The other two, I don't have any intel on, and obviously we don't have the Kakerus, et cetera, et cetera. But again, let's take a look at this. Uh, let's take a look at the, the top 32 over here. So we went from 6.5 to three, and then JP, there was only one, right? And it was just Kakeru who was doing a lot of the damage over there. Basically what I'm saying is that I don't know if JP necessarily carries players as much as we think they do. Broski, Broski, where is Broski? Let's take a look, actually. Where did Broski end up here? Also, by the way, I still really, really... Oh, Start.gg is the hardest thing to navigate in the entire world. Uh, let's see here. How does this work, dude? Like, seriously. <laughs> How do I actually find Broski in this thing? All right. He's got to be listed here somewhere on this. Oh, come on. Broski, 
Broski. Attendees. Right. So I, I'm doing that. Oh, okay. So I can do it like this here. So here he is. Here's Broski. So I click on his name. Ah, 193rd. 193rd place. He did not even make top one, uh, 132, uh, 128. He did not make top 128 here. So he's 193rd. Uh, actually, I think that, yeah. But in any case, he didn't make top 64. So what we're seeing here is that JP goes from 64 to nobody, <laughs> which is really, really interesting. So uh, I think another side of the argument should be objectively looking at characters' tool sets. There are just too many caveats and circumstances in real-world results and characters some top players may pick. Oh, yeah, of course. These results are not be-all, end-all, say-all of tiers. I mean, if we're judging by this, Aki and JP are the two worst characters in the game. Clearly, that's not the situation here here right so clearly jp is still top three this results is not gonna belie jp is not going to say that jp is not top three i think jp is clearly still top three but i don't think jp carries as hard as a lot of people think and i think as people are slowly but surely learning the weaknesses that jp have i think that that actually helps a lot I do still think that Ken and Luke have no weaknesses, which is why I still think they are the two best characters in the game. Nobody, like, they, they just have no weaknesses. They, they can handle every situation. If they need to be defensive, they can. If they need to be offensive, they can. They, they, there's, like, nothing to take advantage of. And yeah, point five is the is the uh, characters that use uh, half. So, for example, Kichipamu used Zangief and used Lily. So he switched between Zangief and Lily. So I counted Kichipa as half of each of those characters. But that's the really interesting thing here. But the the really really interesting thing, and and this is the part that I love the most, is that outside of you know Aki being a little bit weaker and the newest character. And two, JP, this complete JP anomaly, okay? This is an anomaly. I'm not saying that this is any proof of anything outside of my theory that JP is actually top, uh, is the third best character in the game. This kind of leads credence to that. But the most interesting thing about top 32 is that between the 32 players in here, we have 18 out of 20 characters represented. Even if some of them are 0.5 over here, even if some of them are 0.5, like we have every character except JP and Aki represented. So again, JP is an anomaly. But again, this leads credence to the fact that this game is extremely well balanced. People like to try to talk about this game as not being a balanced game. But we literally have, look at all these characters with at least one character representative here, represented here. And clearly the strongest characters are still Ken and Luke. Chun and DJ are rocking along. But the interesting thing is that Guile. Now, someone in the chat said this and I didn't even think about it. Guile obviously has a harder time against JP. It's not an unwinnable fight as Knuckledew has proven these days because he studied the matchup a lot. But the fact that there aren't any JPs making Guile go from four usages in top 64 to four usages in 
top 32? That's interesting. <laughs> That's actually really, really interesting here right now is that Guile didn't drop off at all. So we went from the Singapore premiere where literally we had one Guile and then the Guile disappeared by top 16 to having four Guiles in top 64 to top 32 and it just didn't change. Well, Snake Eyes didn't travel to this event, Airtola. Snake Eyes is already qualified. So Snake is like, what the hell do I need to go anywhere for? <laughs> uh, so again, this is why I'm saying Cammy is not as strong as I think people say she is. She went from seven players using Cammy to freaking one player using Cammy. All the Cammies got taken out. <laughs> Every single one of the Cammies got taken out, except for one. <laughs> and uh, who is the Cammy that didn't get taken out over here? Uh, let's see over here. Uh, who is the Cammy that somehow manages managed to survive into the top, I believe top 16, they made it all the way there. Let me see, Cami. Uh, yeah, there it is, Mizuha. Mizuha was the last Cami standing. And Cami uh, is, uh, <laughs> Mizuha is clearly a very, very, very strong, strong character right there. So, but yeah, here we are in this top 32, which is really interesting. Now, once we get past top 32 to top 16, things start to normalize a little bit. We've lost a lot of characters here. But Ken is still the highest representative here. But what's interesting is that the Dalsums are now surviving. We went from three Dalsums to two Dalsums, and we still have two Dalsums. Now, <laughs> the two Dalsums that we have representing here, if I'm not mistaken, are Mr. Crimson and uh, who was the other Dalsum? The other Dalsum is another supreme expert Dalsum player. I can't remember which one it, uh, he was here. Where is the other Dalsum player? Uh, top 16. Zaffarino. Yeah, 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 yeah. Zaffarino. So, yeah. Zaffarino, Mr. Crimson, two excellent Dalsum players. So, no surprise that the Dalsums are representing here because we've got, you know, that kind of uh, representation here. But if we look at this uh, between top 16 from the two games over here, you know, we're starting to see, you know, fairly, fairly consistent results here. But... Chun and DJ, I think, uh, even though we dropped from three Chuns to only one Chun, and interestingly enough, this Chun isn't Moke. Uh, Moke actually dropped out before this. This is Valmaster uh, who was doing some damage over here. But, you know, it's starting to really look like that consistently here. DJ, Chun, Luke, Ken, and JP might just be the top five characters in the game right now. But even at this point, we still have an E-Honda. And again, Kichipa is the Lily Zangief here. So Kichipa is also a ridiculously amazing player. So, uh, you know, this is probably a little bit of an outlier as well. But, you know, we get to the top eight here and now things are starting to, uh, you know, flatten out a little bit here. So we have the Ken, we have a Luke, we have two DJs. 
You know, we have the Chun-Li, Guile, which everybody says. It's neat to see Rashid here. And again, the Rashid is a different player than last time. Obviously, uh, Gachakun didn't travel here because he's like, I qualified already. See you later, suckers. Uh, and uh, this is Oil King here. But clearly, this is showing that Rashid is, uh, is stronger than a lot of people probably gave him credit for. Potentially, again, they are being used by Gachakun and Oil King, which is, uh, they are amazing players over here. But you take a look at this here, and what you're actually seeing here is a pretty well-spread-out game. We have seven characters in the top eight? Seven characters in the top eight. It's really, really strong, and I want to keep in mind here that I I've counted Mena as only being a Blanca player because of the fact that towards the end, he, that's all he was playing. I don't remember if he played Luke at all at the beginning. So we had two in top 64, but then top 32, one Blanca, top 16, one Blanca, top eight, one Blanca. Again, an exceptional player making uh, a lot of the rounds over here with one character. But then we get to the top four, and sure enough, Blanca, Chun-Li, DJ, and Luke, right? I mean, and again, these are a lot of... Uh, largely, you know, when you look at the players who are actually using these characters, you're like, well, duh, right? I mean, obviously, the Blanco was Mena RD. Chris Wong, who got second place. So remember in the Singapore premiere in top uh, four, there was one and a half Lukes. And same thing with top eight. But the half the Luke is Mena RD. So we have Chris and Mena RD in two top fours in a row. So it's just like, dude, Luke is ridiculous, dude. But I mean, look at this. Look at the top four. Look at the top four here. We've got Blanca, Luke, Chun-Li, and Rashid. And now we've got Blanca, Luke, Chun-Li, and DJ. <laughs> so, I mean, it's not that it's necessarily consistent. I think it's the players because literally two of the players are the same player. The Blancas and the Lukes are literally the same players between the top four of Singapore and the top four of France. Literally the same two players, which means right now Chris Wong and Mena RD might be the two best players on the planet to be this consistent. I mean, that's ridiculous, right? Chris Wong got second place and then first place in two premieres in a row, dude. That's, that's wild. That is absolutely wild. Chris Wong from Hong Kong playing at a completely another level. Mena has not qualified. He got second at EVO, fourth in Singapore, and second in France. So in the three instant qualification tournaments, he's got second, fourth, and second, and he hasn't qualified yet. Oh, so I will say one thing, and this is just an aside completely, but we really really need to get back to a point system here because there is no excuse for Mena RD not being qualified at, for Capcom Pro Tour already at this point. The character, I mean, the player is clearly too strong right now. So, yeah, uh, the auto qualifiers and all that, the region locked events, etc. So there's a lot to discuss about that, but... You know, uh, maybe I'll talk about that in a little bit later on afterwards. Uh, just continuing to analyze these stats. Uh, this is just really fascinating here. And, you know, what do we take away from this? Well, my first thing that I'm going to take away from this is that I'm changing my top five cast, right? My top five cast originally, if I'm not mistaken, was Ken, Luke, JP, and then I had Blanca, 
And then I think I put, what did I put? Guile? Guile? Um, it was one of those. But I think the top five clearly right now in the game are in no order. But may, this is my order. Would be Ken Luke, Blanca. Uh, I'm sorry. Ken Luke, JP. Then probably DJ and Chun-Li. I really think that's like the top five at this point because DJ and Chun-Li have been showing up really, really strong at all of these events over here. Again, the DJ army is rising up. And while we had uh, fewer DJs, I mean, we still had two in top 16 and two in top 16. Yeah. So in both events, we've had two uh, DJs and then Moke in Singapore being a Chun-Li representative who basically uh, did amazing and then in the France premiere, Valmaster with Chun-Li going up there. So I think that's kind of one of the things that we need to take away from this. I did create this little spreadsheet over here so we can track each character's progression through the, uh, through the, uh, through the actual uh, tournament, through the top 64 here. But let me actually change this. So Blanca became two, Honda became four, and who was the last one that we had? We had a uh, Blanca became two, Honda became four, Dalson became three is what it was. So this is what we have here. So Blanca, again, carried by Mena. Cammy, this is one of the big ones that stands out to me. Seven, one, one, and then just disappears. And it was just Mizuha doing work over here. But Chun-Li here, we go from four to three to one, one, one. DJ stays, I mean, DJ's performance, look at this, five to three to two to two to one. He never dropped by more than half during that entire run. And Dalsam, clearly a very strong character. But again, this, this kind of talks about Dalsam's weakness is that Dalsam is probably a top five character in the game if you can play perfect the whole time. The problem is Dalsam is so difficult to use and uh, really hard to be consistent with. Honda was kind of, did decent here. Six, four of them in top 64 is impressive, but then just kind of dropped off. Guile here was largely uh, carried by Knuckledew, but the four to four from top 64 to top 32 is very telling outside of the fact that, you know, there are no JPs. So like that might be one of the reasons why the Giles did as well. Jamie, clearly a very weak character, even though there was a half representation in top 32, this was an attempted counter pick and I think it failed. So literally Jamie should, could theoretically be zero in both of these here. Uh, honestly, JP again, I think that this is a complete outlier. We can't take anything away from this except that I think that he might actually legit be weaker than Ken and Luke. Uh, Jury, again, along with Cammy, I think Jury and Cammy are significantly weaker than people think. I, 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 and, and this is kind of what I've felt about Cammy for a while. Obviously, I haven't played a lot of Jury, but I've had a lot of discussions with Jury players who definitely think that Jury is overrated. And the data that we're getting from all these events really is kind of saying that, yeah, Jury might be overrated. And then, of course, Ken never dropping more than half except for three to one. But do we really count that once we're whittling down to, you know, uh, eight players here? Uh, Kimberly, interestingly enough, three to one. But again, 
you know, like Jury, like Cammy, just not doing particularly well. Lily, clearly a weak character here, carried by Kichipa. Uh, could literally be zero, zero, zero the whole way because Kichipa only bust out Lily, I think, for one particular matchup. I can't remember. But Luke, from six to five, the two to one to one, again, like Ken. Just so consistent of a character. Manon and Marisa both needing help here. And I believe the point five is the same player, if I'm not mistaken, who used Manon and Marisa. I don't remember which player it was, but I think that this, the, both of these characters are carried by one player. Now, the interesting thing about Rashid, obviously the number is low to start with the top 64, but the fact that he's made top eight two tournaments in a row, and in fact, winning the Singapore premiere completely, I think uh, this is an indication of his strength. And the reason why his number is so low in top 64 is literally because nobody plays Rashid. Like, there are so few Rashid players out there. And I think a lot of people, thanks to Gachakun and Oil King, are being very encouraged. And I think the Rashid players will go up. Two Ryus, pretty surprising to me. Down to one, down to none. Not a surprise. Ryu, not a very strong character. And then, oops, I don't need this anymore. And then Zangief, again, carried by Kichipa. We had one other Zangief over here. I think this might be Veggie who made it this far. I can't remember now. I believe this was Veggie that made it this far. Um, but, um, again, it's just like looking at the, the, the way that the characters go right now. Like, if I really had to do a, a, a tier list... I mean, I would probably, you know, so again, Blanca, I have really high up because I can't fight that character, but it might be a me problem more than anything else. But I think Blanca's still ridiculous. He still may go up, but based on results, I think it's pretty clear that Ken, Luke, JP, uh, DJ, and Chun-Li are probably the top five right now. I think that's probably a good way to look at it. And again, what was interesting is one of the other videos where I did this kind of analysis, someone actually responded in the YouTube comments. I should have got his name. I apologize. You're the man for typing out this big, long, detailed analysis. Uh, but they mentioned that DJ has the second highest success at CPT events, whether it was the instant qualified uh, online events or the World Warrior events, or these offline events, between all of them, Ken has the most success. And DJ is the character that has actually had the second most success. Not by a lot over Luke. Luke was third, but DJ was actually higher. So I think it's time that we start talking about DJ properly, appropriately, as a top five character at this point. Japan has long put Chun-Li in top five, and I think they're right. I think they're right. I think that's our top five for the game. But again, the most important thing to note here is that in this top, uh, here, let me delete this row over here. In this, um, sorry, OCD, 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 OCD. Okay, there we go. Uh, in this top 32, I think the most important thing here is despite 4.5s over here, four characters with a 0.5 uses stat, the fact that they were even represented by a player at all 
and the only missing characters were JP and Aki. And again, Aki a little bit weaker, but also the latest DLC character. So we may not have found the strongest, uh, like we might not have gotten our Rashid Aki players out there at this point. But again, the problem with Aki right now is that she doesn't have an OD wake up and Rashid does. Right, and I'll always say that you cannot be a strong character unless you have an OD wake up. And so I really, really think that's one of the biggest situations we have for Aki right now, which is gonna be holding her back from having uh, strong results at an event anytime soon. But the fact that Aki and JP are the only characters that are missing from the top 32 is really impressive. And in the top 16, we have four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11 characters represented in the top 16 and seven characters represented in the top eight. Everybody who sits here and tries to tell me that this game is not balanced is just objectively wrong. They're just objectively wrong in my opinion. I think this game is extremely balanced, don't you Nathan? Sorry, those listening on the podcast, it's that time again. Hi. Hi, Nathan. Hi, Nathan. Oh, ho, ho. Hi, Nathan. Look at Nathan. Look at Nathan. Look at the cutie little boy. Look at his pretty blue eyes. Mwah. Okay. Um, yeah, the game is balanced. The game is balanced. And like I said, while there are characters that are clearly stronger than every other character, as I said in a previous video, the big difference in with this situation in games like Third Strike or ST is that a lot of the characters in those games literally have no hope. The top tier like invalidate their existence, right? Old Sagat literally deletes like half the cast out of ST. Like if you expect to win a tournament, and you're using half of the cast, you will lose to old, old, old Sagat. You will lose to a strong old Sagat player. Like, that's just going to happen. <laughs> and there's almost nothing you can do about it. Don't make me pull up that Cami versus old Sagat footage. If someone knows what I'm talking about, please bring it up so I can show you what a low-tier character actually looks like. If you know what I'm talking about and you can find that clip of the Cami versus old Sagat, uh, please link it in the chat uh, so you can see what a real low tier match is, okay? The difference here is that in Street Fighter VI, every single one of these characters has the capability to win. They can win. And that's the important thing. That's the main thing to take away from Street Fighter VI. And uh, I think after two offline premieres where we get all the best characters, uh, that's... That's basically, uh, this is, this is, I don't know. I think it's irrefutable proof. I really, really think. Uh, try finding it on, um, on Twitter. There's a tweet that just has that one clip that shows the section of why the fight is literally impossible to win. And uh, uh, see if you can find a Twitter uh, tweet of it. Uh, but yeah, that's kind of where my conclusion is. So again, just looking through all these results over here, I should have spreadsheeted out the, 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 the Singapore premiere as well. I just didn't have a chance to. I didn't have the time. Uh, I, I started this way too late in the day. So, uh, But yeah, this is kind of the situation that we have. Ah, thank you, Mikey. Here we go. All right. Let's take a look at this. This, okay. 
So if you actually think uh, this is uh, not a bad matchup, let's see. Yeah, okay, I think this is the one. If you want to know what a low tier matchup looks like, this is uh what it looks like when she jumped forward she got swept on the landing you saw that, right? As soon as she jumped forward, she got swept on her landing because you have no land blocking. You have no trip guard. So what are you supposed to do? This is a low tier matchup. She has no dive kick in Super Turbo. She has no dive kick. This is what we're talking about when we talk about bad matchups in old games. She has no, no, she has no trip guard, so she can't land and block. So literally, she could do nothing in that situation. And when she blocked the tiger shot, she's minus enough that Sagat just throws another one, and Cammy just has to neutral jump it anyway. If she jumps forward, Sagat sweeps her on the ground and then just goes back to it. Literally <laughs> an impossible match. This is, an, this is a 2-8 match. Maybe even a 1-9 match, and Cami is full of these things. So again, in these old games here, literally some characters are deleted from the game by top-tier characters. And so when you're talking about Street Fighter VI, and I hear people talk about like, oh my god, this character is so low-tier, and you're just like, really? <laughs> like, really? <laughs> Did you just see what happened there? And this is uh, what we're dealing with over here. So, uh, uh, oh, cat is just sleeping on me. Nathan is rubbing his head all over my hand right now. Hi. I need to hug my cat after watching that cami match, dude. For those of you at home who listening on podcasts, just know that Cami was neutral jumping every single one of those tiger shots, and she literally couldn't do anything except neutral jump them. And she just neutral jumped like 10 in a row, and there was literally nothing she could do. It sucked so bad. Uh, there are definitely ways that Cami can try to approach this match. I've beaten some Sagats before uh, in tournaments, but that's very, very rare. So yeah, this is, this is what we're dealing with here. And so if anybody tries to tell you that Street Fighter VI is not a balanced game, they're just wrong. <laughs> There's just wrong. I don't even think I'm being subjective at this point. I don't even think it's subjective to say that Street Fighter VI is really balanced. I, I really don't even think that it, it, I don't even think it's an opinion. I think it's literal fact here. So again, yes, do some of these characters need buffs? I've talked about how, for example, like, yes, clearly Jamie, 
uh, Lily and Zangief and Ryu and I'm sorry, Ryu and Manon and Marisa might need a little bit of help. But like I said, they can win. Even Big Bird does super well with Marisa all the time. Big Bird, Angry Bird, by the way, not at this event. So um, their, their character usage is not represented here. Uh, and that's the thing, right? Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the dangerous thing. Zangief will be dangerous with buffs. All these characters would be dangerous with buffs, right? God, this cat is just rubbing his head against me. Look at this guy. He's... All right, Nathan. All right. <laughs> what a good cat. Uh, but that's why you have to be careful. And that's why most people don't know how to buff characters. Most people don't know how to buff characters. I always tell the story of the guy on the Shoryuken forums who told me Cammy's dive kick in Street Fighter 4 should have been an overhead. He's like, it needs to be an overhead. They need to make, like, drill safe on block. They need to do... And I was like, you're turning her into the most broken character in fighting game history. And the guy was like, no, this would barely make her manageable. And I'm like, you are... You have no idea how to play fighting games. I'm sorry. <laughs> but literally, most of these characters here need just a tiny thing. If you gave Kimberly her ODDP back, that's it. She would be great. And again, most of the buffs for all these characters is just give them a way to get away from throw. That's really all you need. Like, right? Like, just give them a way to wake up with a move. That's like it. That's like it. If, you, if we gave Aki a way to escape from hits and throws, she would move up in tears. If we, met, if we gave, okay, Dalsum would be scary to do it with. <laughs> I have a system by which to do it. I'll talk about this in the next section. So if you're watching this on YouTube, wait till this one gets uploaded and then we'll talk about, uh, we'll talk about how I would fix Dalsum. Honda, if he, if his EX headbutt just avoided throws or if his, um, or if his butt slam avoided throws, that would be nice. Uh, I mean, JP and Ryu are the only ones that have the ODDPs and they're still bad. Um, Kimberly, if she had it, if Lily just, if her ODDP just worked, they'd be great. Like, that's it. Like, they would automatically be that much better characters and in the mix of things. If you made Manon have an ODDP, she would automatically be in the mix of things. If you gave Marisa a way to avoid throws... She'd be up there with everybody else. And same thing with Zangief. All these characters, if that's all you did to them, the game is already almost instantly balanced. Almost instantly balanced. <laughs> I think that's just the way it is. I just, no, see, that's the thing. If you gave Dalsum an OTG teleport, dude, he'd be the best character in the game. Like, he'd be the best character in the game. That's it. That's it. Gone. We're done. We're just done. So... Uh, yeah, and exactly, like, if Jamie just started at 1.0 damage, and maybe Kimberly as well, because Kimberly starts at 0.9 damage, and Jamie starts at 0.9 damage, their supers that buff, their, their systems that buff them actually normalize them, although Jamie can get above 1.0, whereas Kimberly cannot, she literally goes from 0.9 to 1, which kind of sucks, so, but, uh, basically, again, all the characters very able to win. You can definitely uh, pick a character and do well with them. And in fact, most of the people who are complaining about tiers and complaining about how strong characters are 
are usually a lot of the intermediate players. And really, honestly speaking, intermediate level, the tiers don't matter as much, right? Because the JPs won't be optimized. The Kens and the Lukes won't be optimized. Now, those characters can carry the player very, very well. And so that's why it's hard to fight them. That's why Cammy and Jury are very strong because Cammy dive kicks all over you. Jury just goes fireball in the, in the drive rush. And you're like, what do I do? And uh, life sucks. And there's ways for those characters to carry you into the higher levels. But again, if you're... You can't really be worried about tiers until you start getting into like master rank and stuff because clearly it is possible to succeed uh, without that. Jesus Christ, hang on a second. What is, what is, where am I doing over here? Uh, is it this one here? Yeah, let's get this guy over here. Look at this dude. Oh, sorry about all my soda cans. I'm, I'm a mess. I'm a mess. This is where the, uh, the, the ADHD comes in. Oh, God. What, what are you doing, Nathan? You are just in, like, supreme lovey-dovey. God, and now he's knocking everything over? Jesus Christ. Hi. Hi, buddy. Uh, Angie Mage says Marisa also, but I have no clue how to nerf her buff. I'll, I'll get into that uh, in the next section. Like I said, I'll talk about how I would fix a lot of this uh, stuff over here. So, <sighs> Nathan, dude, listen to this mess that he's made. I need to clean. I need to clean. I need to clean for sure. I'm almost in platinum. I'm sure I'd be there if Ryu would carry me. Gosh darn it. Yeah, Ryu's not carrying many people, uh, unfortunately. Uh, but again, uh, I just think that this is a, a strong indication that the game is very balanced. So looking at these stats, and again, the most glaring thing to me, like if I had to pick the biggest storyline from this, is it's literally JP going from three in top 64 to being the first character, not Aki, to be zeroed. Uh, zero character usages here. And even with someone as strong as Kyungster and maybe even Broski uh, in this tournament, and, like, he didn't even make top 32. Now, obviously, we didn't have, like, the Kakerus or the Seos or, you know, a lot of those guys were at uh, Tiger Uppercut, which also happened on this weekend, which was also some great matches. And <laughs> just as an... Okay, actually, you know what? You know what? <laughs> The world balances itself out. The world balances itself out, and this is an indication of why there were no JPs at the France premiere. At Tiger Uppercut, the top three were JP, JP, and JP. <laughs> so all of the JPs are in Asia, and clearly they didn't travel to Singapore, to France for the... Uh, for the premiere, okay? So that's the explanation, right? There we have the explanation. Tiger Uppercut, top three was JP, JP, JP. We ended the tournament with two JP mirrors after playing like two more JPs, two more JP mirrors earlier in the tournament. So there you go. That explains everything. <laughs> that explains everything. Why we have no JPs here, because they all went to Tiger Uppercut instead. So there you go. That <laughs> Everything is straightened out. Everything makes sense. Like I said, the JP was just an anomaly. 
JP thing at this premiere, I believe, was an anomaly more, more than anything else. It's not an indication that JP is not top three. Top three is still Ken Luke JP, without question. Without question. I don't think anyone could really argue that except, like I said, DJ or Chun. Um, honestly, so... Yeah, a lot of people DQ'd. Uh, as some people have mentioned, a lot of Japanese players couldn't make it due to travel issues. And uh, and it's just the way it goes, right? It's it's a free-to-enter tournament. It's a free-to- every, every free-to-enter tournament, this is going to happen, right? If it's free-to-enter, you're going to get a gazillion DQs, right? So don't think of this as any sort of like, oh my gosh, the players are dropping off or they stop caring or, you know, whatever, whatever. It's, it's, if it's a free tournament, you're going to sign up for it. Maybe on the off chance you can make it. So, uh, so I personally think Blanca's top five. I think he's ridiculous, but that's not what the results show. Uh, literally, Mena's the only one using him, but I do think Blanca's up there. I just think that, Blanca's a, a character that requires a lot of tech and requires a lot of knowledge and requires a lot of practice. And a lot of the people who are strong with Blanca uh, are tech monsters. So Wolfgang is a tech monster. Um, uh, uh, Flash Metroid is a tech monster, right? Uh, Flash Metroid, obviously, very, very, very solid player as well. But, I mean, is he at the level that someone like Mena RD is at, right? My Mena RD doesn't have as much tech as these guys, but those other guys don't have the kind of talent that uh, Mena RD has, right? If we were able to find two of these kind of persons and put them into one and also use Blanca, I think that would be really scary. So, like, I think that, you know, Mena could learn a few more Blanca, a little bit more Blanca tech. The closest thing that I've seen so far is Liang Liang, uh, from China, who doesn't travel much, but Liang Liang's Blanca is ridiculous. He is ridiculous. Like I, I when I watched Liang Liang's Blanca on an ICFC Asia, I was just like, uh, uh, uh. <laughs> so uh, I really do think. Uh, let me see if I can find this here. Uh, where is my advanced search option here? Let's do Liang Liang J. Chenzo. Maybe that'll bring it up here. Yeah. So here is a match uh, with Gachakun, who won the Singapore. This was after Gachakun won the Singapore. After Gachakun won the Singapore event, he fought up against Liang Liang Blanca from China. Now, keep in mind that uh, Gachakun, sure enough, won the first round. So obviously, uh, uh, here he's won a game and one round. So he's up, he's down only two games and one game and one round of here. So it's pretty close. But this is, this is, Liang Liang is the closest thing that I've seen to this degree of uh, a Blanca play here that he's absolutely capable of. And like Chun-Li in Third Strike, he's most dangerous with meter. So I feel like even though he lost the first round, that's something that maybe Blancas are going to fall into a lot. Like this character when he gets you in the corner is just the most ridiculous thing, dude. I don't understand what you're supposed to do. Blanca-Chan, I feel like is almost broken. Like I want, I personally think Blanca-Chan is kind of broken. But you know, I don't have proof of that. That's the problem right now. 
is I don't really have any way to acknowledge to, to be able to prove that that's the actual case. It's just, I just... Like, the thing about Blanca is what Flash Metroid told me is that Blanca's weakness, and that was a double perfect, mind you. That was a double perfect, mind you. Um, the, the weakness of Blanca is that he doesn't have much neutral. And that I, I understand. But dude, once he gets you, like, I just, I don't... I don't, I don't know. No, but see, here's the problem is that if you're actually, in, if he's in level two, if he's actually in level two and throws out a Blanca Chan, he can combo you after a throw. He actually has a way to activate the doll and then throw, he's got a setup where he can basically drop the Blanca Chan, jump in the air, do the dive, Activate the doll before the doll hits you, throws you, and then the doll hits you after the throw. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, are his mix-ups better than Kimberly? Way better than Kimberly's. It's not even comparable. It's not even comparable because if you activate Blanca Chan with the little hoppy, hoppy, hoppy thing, he stays there. And, he, and the Blanca Chan doesn't go away. <laughs> like the spray can does, and he gets three of them, unlike two for Kim. Now, Kim can reload her, so can Blanca via a taunt, so that doesn't really count. But still, uh, and also, if he activates the hoppy Blanca, he gets two mix-ups on you while you're blocking it. He gets overhead or low or low overhead, and he gets to keep doing more stuff. Like, it's just, it's, the Blanca-chan is like... <laughs> I hate it. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna lose a little biases over here. I'm gonna find. I'm unbiased. I'm gonna lose my unbiasedness here. I hate Blanca Chan. I think Blanca Chan is so broken. <laughs> I hate it, and I think it's way too strong. And like literally, <laughs> right? See, that's the thing. What does Kim have that doesn't that justifies Blanca getting an OD wake up, and Kim doesn't? If Kim gets an OD wake up, she's not even as good as Blanca. This is why we don't balance things based off of betas. We don't have all the characters there. Don't balance things off of betas. Leave Kimberly alone. Jesus. God. Okay. Back to professional unbiased James Chen host. Fuck Blanca Chan. All right, okay, here we go. <clears throat> here we go. So, yeah, uh, basically, you know, I, I do think Blanca's really strong. Uh, but I think right now results are showing those other five are in top five. I would put Blanca six probably based off of the results and and including a little bit of my biases now. But I really, really think that at this point in time that uh, uh, Chun-Li and DJ, uh, Chun-Li and DJ, their results are clearly showing that they have more consistency and more representation, uh, more representation than Blanca does. And so based off of results and not personal biases, uh, I think DJ and Chun-Li are stronger than Blanca. So that's basically what I'd have in this situation here. That's, that's kind of how I would set things up. But again, 
you know, based off of the Singapore premiere, based off of the France premiere, again, if we look at the Singapore premiere again, just so we can take a look at this, in top eight, we had seven characters. We had seven characters in the France premiere. In top eight, we have seven characters, right? So let's take a look at the overlap on this because the overlap is going to be really, really, really close here. So in France, we've got a DJ and we've got a DJ, right? We've got a Blanca, we've got a Blanca. We've got a Chun-Li, we've got a Chun-Li. we got a Guile and we got a JP, interestingly enough. <laughs> This is the this is the uh, this is the uh, the the discrepancy, which makes sense because JP kills Guile. Uh, we have a Ken and a Luke, and we have a Ken and a Luke, and we have a Rashid and a Rashid. Really, really interesting here for me that the representation is exactly the same, except for. Uh, JP and Guile. Is this, is, is that our top nine? And you know, it's not wrong. <laughs> like, I've had these characters kind of in the top nine at this point. Uh, the only characters that are missing from this list right now that I have up there are Cammy and Jury. But they might be the weakest of the characters. They might actually be 10th and 11th at this point. Like the nine, the top nine might actually be these nine characters represented in, in these two tournaments here. And then uh, Cami and Jury are probably 10 and 11, to be honest with you. And then Marisa, like right behind there. That is a very logical and legit, um, legit tiering, I think. And so, again, the one thing that you can say about all top nine of these characters, ODDP, 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 and then JP, not actually an ODDP, but at least it has something that can counter throws and attacks. It has a lot of weaknesses compared to ODDPs. Obviously, it has a strength compared to ODDPs. But yeah, Ken, Luke, JP, I think are number one. And then, of course, let's actually see if we can take a look. Let me go to High Fights channel over here because uh, we will watch the clip that makes us understand that perhaps, perhaps uh, Luke is better than Ken because he had the fight against Valmaster. And when you see the fight against Valmaster, you're like, oh. <laughs> okay, actually, we could just do the Capcom Cup one, the Capcom Cup official tweet. Point, both players. Oh my God, what a treat. Cat one. And again, the patience exuding to unprecedented levels here, but Chris Wong has a super uh, uh, meter advantage here, and it is huge. Right this is Francis Valmaster with Chun-Li. And this is what you're going to expect from a footsie game between these two, honestly. This is kind of what you want to expect, you see? As soon as Chris tries to jump, he gets beat up. And see, he jumps and he gets beat up again. So this is looking great for uh, Valmaster right now. What a great start for him. Just punished two jumps over there. Oh, Chris gets a hit. He gets a hit. Oh, is this the one? Is, no, this isn't the round. Okay, hang on a second. Hang on a second. This isn't the one. Where is it? 
where is the clip? That's not the clip over there. Oh, unless it's the second round. I think it might be the second round, actually. Yeah, this. I think this is both rounds here. No. No, it's not because this is the, this is already the end of the round over here. Shoot, where's the clip? See, this is this is what I mean. I'm really bad at finding clips over here. So these are on November fourth. So uh, where is the high fight clip? So there's Chris Wong winning here. Uh, where is it, dude? Why am I so bad at finding these things? I'm sure High Fight tweeted this. I know High Fight tweeted this. Oh, that's a different one. That's a, that's a, does anybody, I mean, somebody out there clearly knows what I'm talking about here. And I'm trying to find this stupid round over here. Why can't I find it here? Uh, am I just this bad at finding anything on the internet? I swear to God, I am the worst person at finding anything on the internet. Ugh. All right, you know what? Let's, dang it. Oh, does Kiko Master have it out there? Okay, yeah, I think this is the one. I think this is the one. So let's take a look at this. So let's see this here. Oh, yeah, yeah, this is the one. This is the one, because I remember he misses that juggle here. Okay. So again, Valmaster with a big lead here. Thank you, Aharu Haru. Haru Haru. Okay, gets a back throw. So, <laughs> obviously, since this is my channel, not Sejam's channel, we're going to play a game of Is It Gonna Kill? Is it gonna kill at this point? So, we are playing uh, Is It Gonna Kill here? This is uh, Chris Wong versus Valmaster. And uh, Valmaster has 70% life here. Let's play this game. How many people think it's actually gonna kill? How many people think it's gonna just be shy? All right, we're gonna go here. Let's do this. And he blocked, that was blocked. He had time to anticipate something, this is not good. One reason why some people might actually consider Luke the best character in the game. If anybody is wondering why this did so much damage here, I'll explain it to you. Crouching medium kicks scale a lot, cancels scale a lot, and stuff like that, but here we go. Heavy attack, 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 special, special, level three. There was no scaling in that combo whatsoever. There was no scaling. I mean, I mean, it's just the standard scaling. But again, level three has never dropped below 50. It was a critical art. And yeah, 
we have actually tested it and we have found combos that do literally like 6,900 damage and stuff like that. It's, it's ridiculous. So there is the reason why some people think that Luke might be the best character in the game. And when you see that, you're like, yeah, yeah maybe, could be. Actually, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's actually kind of ridiculous. So, um, uh, yeah, some characters, I mean, 70% in one combo off of like a real kind of like setup. I've seen Rashid do that kind of damage off of the counter hit Eagle Spike into level two into like Eagle Spike into Eagle Spike into Eagle Spike into Eagle Spike into level one. <laughs> I've seen that before, but like this one, I mean, that was just, that was way too practical. That was way too practical. So, ah, Marisa doesn't count, dude. Marisa doesn't count. <laughs> We know Marisa could do that much damage. Uh, man. Regardless. Anyways, I'm, I'm rambling at this point. I've, I've already kind of gotten through what I wanted to with these stats over here. So again, clearly, 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 the game is very balanced, right? The game is extremely balanced. And we'll talk a lot more about that in the next section over here. How do we fix Street Fighter VI, right? We'll talk about that more in that section. So again, if you guys are curious to see what I have to say about how I would fix Street Fighter VI, uh, please tune in. Uh, find this on YouTube, probably showing up tomorrow, I believe. So take a look, at, take a look for that. But for those of you who are here on Twitch, just stick around and it'll be coming up right after a quick uh, break. But again... Objectively speaking, Street Fighter VI is one of the most balanced fighting games of all time. I don't think that that's a question, especially for a for a launch game. For a launch game, like I think that this is almost kind of ridiculous. Like I almost think that Jesus, what is wrong with my microphone stand? Is falling apart? Oh my God, <laughs> my microphone stand. Hang on, sorry guys, my microphone stand is falling apart here. It is do it. Oh, you know what? That's it. It's done. I'll, I'll have to replace parts. Uh, but in any case, I, I don't even think that's a subjective viewpoint. I think that this is the most balanced fighting game, especially it, particularly for a launch product that is four months old uh, that we've ever seen. I just don't even think that there's a question about that. Like the only other fighting game that's more balanced on launched is like footsies. It's because there's only one character in the game, right? <laughs> it's the only way that it could work. So shout out to the team, honestly. And uh, I showed you the Sagat Kami match. You know what bad matches actually can look like. So uh, I just, I don't feel like that there's any, any juice to people saying the game isn't balanced. Now, again, some of the characters need buffs for sure. And we'll talk about that in the next section. So... Uh, that's all I have to say about the Singapore premiere. Uh, obviously, let's talk. Uh, I, 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 I do, obviously. Congratulations, Chris Wong. Amazing job. Also, um, you know, if you're still pretty convinced <laughs> that the game is unbalanced, <laughs> let me know in the comments below as well. Uh, and uh, if, you, <laughs> if you're like, what are you talking about? This game is still Super Bro JP. You know, feel free to let me know uh, what your thoughts are on that. And if the Kami Sagat matchup that you saw from Super Turbo didn't convince you that we are in a golden age of balance with fighting games, uh, let me know in the comments. But uh, as for those of you here on YouTube, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for watching. 
And uh, remember that the day, oh, please make sure you like and subscribe. And the day that this podcast graced your ears was the most important day of your life. But for me. It was Tuesday. You know, uh, adding on to that, which I said that I might talk about, so I'll talk about a little bit here, but clearly I feel like we need to go to a point system again because men are getting second, fourth, and second at the three offline qualifying premieres, meaning that he's not qualified yet is brutal is brutal and i really do hope we go to an offline point system now uh logan uh, logan sama uh has been talking about this a lot on twitter and a lot of people have been giving him a lot of pushback because he's like we need to go to point system again a lot of people are mad because they're like you know well that just makes it so that the people who can't travel aren't rewarded i do feel like the world warrior system needs to stay intact and so does logan logan specifically said keep the world warrior tournaments but now instead of having the online qualifiers like we're doing right now let's go back to offline events but keep the world warrior events around and i agree with that i agree with that i think that's a good way to do it and that way the world warrior does give a chance for you know one player from each region to to qualify but I really do feel like the point system, and it's not even just, you know, we want the strongest players. I think it tells the best story. When I was in Puerto Rico and uh, MYK was telling me all about, you know, the, the, the standings of the TWT. Dude, like, I just, I got really into it all of a sudden. I was just like, oh, shoot, I really hope that this person wins this, and I hope that that person wins that, and oh, well, I hope that this person, like, it just creates a good story. It creates a lot of things for people to keep track of, to, to like, oh, you know, this person needs this many points, and this person's up here, and that. It gives us a stronger seating in the actual tournament, etc., etc. So I think that's just kind of how it works honestly i think that i think i like that i, I really like that so uh, right exactly and that's the other thing too right it does help the smaller communities because when we did have premier events all over the world so anti-mage in the chat says we had that in four i liked that people went to south america for points it helps a lot of those events as well, right? So when, you, when Capcom does say, we have a premiere in Chile, we have a premiere in South Africa, we have a premiere, you know, you get these players traveling out and then it helps those events. It increases those events attendance because they want to watch Tokido live. They want to be able to get snap a picture with Mena RD, right? They want to be able to see these players, meet these players and cheer for them live in their, in their home countries. The Red Bull Kumite in South Africa was amazing. You saw how people were going crazy and how much they cheered for Jabi M when he took out Tokido, right? Like, it, it helps. It, it actually helps a lot of the scenes more than it hurts them, in my opinion. 
because you do have a chance to award, reward a lot of these people and it gets these people to travel more. And not only that, but because they're traveling and showing up at a lot of events, that also helps promote the sponsorship factor as well because these players need sponsorships to be able to get to all these places. And so hopefully we would get more of the sponsors back into the fighting game community because a lot of times now, why would you sponsor a player when they don't ever show up on the broadcast at all? Like literally when we do the CPT, you don't even get to see them sitting up there. You don't even get to see the jersey that they're wearing or anything. <laughs> like all the Red Bull players take a swig of the Red Bull in between matches. You don't get that on the CPT online, right? So it's just like when we get to the offline point, I just feel like it helps everybody. Uh, I, I feel like it's beneficial to everybody to be able to return to offline events. And yes, it makes it harder for people to qualify from a lot of different areas because it rewards the people who have money or who have sponsors and who can travel. But again, the world warriors are always going to be out there, right? And you have, and again, it's, we go from having two players from each region to one player from each region, right? Because before it's the online qualifier and then the uh, the World Warrior. And clearly we saw last year some of the best stories. We're seeing a lot of those people qualifying. Like, it was great seeing guys like Javi M and, you know, a whole bunch of other guys uh, qualify from other areas. But, and I know, like, I want I want to be like, you know what, they should just make it so that we double the number of players. And so maybe we can have the people who qualify by the onlines, you know, uh, and the people and have the offline points guys. Maybe the guys who qualify in the onlines start in the start, you know, have an extra round to fight against, kind of like the CTWC, how there's always one round where a bunch of people get the buys. Maybe the guys with the points get the buys and the people who qualify in the online qualifiers have to play one extra round or something like that. We can figure something out. The hardest part is that it's expensive to fly everybody out. And while Capcom obviously is a very wealthy company, with properties like Monster Hunter and Devil May Cry and Resident Evil and such. It's still just because a company has money doesn't mean every department has that money. I understand it's not that simple. So I'm not just going to be like, well, why doesn't Capcom just do this and use all the Resident Evil money? It's That's just not how the world works, unfortunately. Uh, but if that's something they can consider and maybe something that they can swing, getting more people there and having a, an earlier round, for example, for the online qualifiers, and then they get into the next round where then they are paired up with all of the guys with points and stuff like that. I think that would be really cool. I think that would be really, really cool. So, uh, right, exactly. And a lot of times you'll see like RB in front of their names. Well, what does that mean, right? Yeah, exactly. So... Once we get back to offline, I actually do think that helps everybody. I think that helps everybody in the end. And uh, and it just makes it more exciting. It makes it feel more exclusive. It makes it feel more like like exciting, right? Because then the, the other problem too right now is our viewership. Brian F. talked about how the viewership for the France premiere is actually kind of low. And the problem is, is that not enough people are traveling to make us be like, oh, snap. We're going to see all these international players go up against each other. Like, honestly, like very few U.S. players traveled out to France. Very few U.S. players traveled out to Singapore either, right? We didn't get that kind of, those kind of matchups. And frankly, between the top players, we see like Knuckle Doo versus Punk like every single week. We almost see it every single week. 
we're kind of saturated at this point. We're, we're kind of numbed to a lot of this. But if we can get back to the offlines and make it so that, you know, the France premiere was run at UFA, the Singapore premiere was run at SEAM, you know, it brings back the community aspect. It brings back that live aspect. It brings back the, the majors kind of feel. And I think that that helps a lot. Um, and I think that I think that just makes a lot of sense, to be honest with you. So yeah, and and then it just gives people opportunity to go and meet people, like Van Horn says. I just I I really think that that's how it works, honestly. I think it needs to be better. But I'm not saying Capcom made a mistake. They're obviously pivoting off of one a game being released halfway through the year, so they had that much less time to plan. And then also uh, pandemic. <laughs> That's an absolute valid reason why Capcom shifted to the online and, you know, maybe they felt the offline, the online was working really well for them instead of trying it out for just a year like this to, 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 to lower expenses and maybe save money for the million dollar prize pool or something like that. But uh, it's tough. It's tough. And yeah, I, and yeah, taking a huge financial loss, taking time off work to enter a tournament where only one person qualifies is not worth it. Exactly. So if you can actually gain points, there's more reason to go, right? Because you can work towards something. Obviously, you're going to have to travel more often. But uh, it's, again, the problem with it is, is that there's always going to be a negative to either side. Like, there's a negative to both sides to this. But I feel like the positives outweigh the negatives more on the offline supporting the UFA CEOs, combo breakers, seams, Taiwan fighting, whatever, you know, all the majors. I think that actually helps a lot. And like I said, you know, having a lot of people travel to these foreign countries makes a lot of people excited, makes a lot of people happy. And I think, I think that's really cool. Um, and I, I don't know. Like, I just, I think that there's, we got to look at it. We got to look at it. I'm not saying that Capcom's doing it wrong. I just personally would prefer to have the offlines. And then on top of that, it's a discussion point. So let's see if we can discuss it and actually get an idea of what to do. So uh, finances is definitely the hardest part. Finances is definitely the hardest part for everyone traveling, which is what the sponsors were for. I don't know if we can actually get sponsors, but would we get more sponsors if they had more camera time? Etc. Etc. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, there's a lot of questions to ask, a lot of questions to think about, a lot of things to talk about, and I think it's an important conversation to have because I do feel like we're missing some of the excitement that we used to have from having offline events. I really liked the fact that I mean, look at Combo Breaker and CEO. Like, uh, we didn't get a lot of foreign players traveling to those. We got very few foreign players traveling to those. And if they're premieres, it helps those events. Those events get more entries. They get more money. More people go to show up to watch these top players. There's more draw for people to go and watch the event live. And so I just think it helps everybody overall in the end make a healthier uh, ecosystem for us. I think it supports the, the offline majors out there. If we pivot everything to too much to online, What's going to happen is that everyone's going to become lazy. Everyone's going to be used to watching at home. Everyone's going to be used to playing from home, used to commentating from home. And we're just going to end up at a point where we're so used to it that nobody travels to anything anymore. It is the one downside to good netcode. And again, I know I've said that and everyone gets mad at me because no one wants to hear that good netcode has any downside. 
And uh, everyone got mad at me when I first mentioned it. But again, facts are facts. We have to look at it this way and we have to understand that this is a valid concern uh, for everybody uh, in the FGC. Okay, so there we go. That's all I have to say about that. Let me know your thoughts in the comments below. Uh, if you're here on YouTube, let me know if you feel like we should move back to the offline or if you think that there's any points that I'm missing over here that I haven't discussed. Uh, as for those of you here on YouTube, thank you for tuning in. Thank you for watching. And uh, remember that the day... Oh, please make sure you like and subscribe. And the day that this podcast graced your ears was the most important day of your life. But for me... It was Tuesday... Everybody, welcome to It Was Tuesday with your host James Chen, aka Jay Chenzor. Uh, if you guys are enjoying the content, please like and subscribe, and also leave a comment below letting me know uh, what more kinds of content you'd like to see from me. But you know what? Everybody wants to hear about this, I'm sure, and that is how would I fix Street Fighter VI? And you know what? I'm allergic to balance patches. I think. Actually, I'm allergic to cats. <coughs> <coughs> And that's why that happened. Oh boy. Okay. Oof. <sighs> so everybody wants to know. I mean, look, I, a few weeks ago, I talked about our people being too salty about Street Fighter 6. Are people complaining too much? And I said, no, I don't think people are complaining too much. And I still stick by that. I, obviously, people are very vocal about what they would like to change. And, uh, but it's the internet. Everyone's going to be super loud about it and they're going to be super angry, uh, about it. And so, you know, clearly, uh, you know, it seems like people are complaining more, but again, if you've ever seen how it was back in, you know, for every fighting game, it's like this and people are like, Oh my God, street fighter six, everyone's complaining dude. Have you seen Ed Boon's mentions? <laughs> Ultra David has told the story that one time Ed Boon tagged him in a tweet. And then he basically had to mute that tweet because basically everybody was yelling at Ed Boon about everything. So no, <laughs> look, it's the internet. And it's just the more people you get onto it, the louder everybody seems when it comes to people being upset about things. And I, I largely think that a lot of the, the problems are that people just feel like the game is so close to being balanced that they're wanting more that they want it to be perfect. Like they feel like it has that ability to, to get closer. I mean, I feel like people have more to say about the Street Fighters system mechanics than every other system mechanics for any other game ever. Because I think a lot of the other games, the, it just, they just don't feel as balanced. <laughs> so, uh, I think, um, the question that I have here is, does it need fixing? 
And again, look, I think the game is balanced. If you guys just watch this video over here on the YouTube channel here, the CPT France Premier Stacks, I was saying that this game is extremely balanced. And a lot of people are saying that, you know, my complaint isn't about the balance, right? It, my complaint is about, I just want the game to be more fun, or I just want the game to be more interesting. It's growing stale, et cetera, et cetera. And, you know, stale after four months is like, okay. <laughs> well, five months now is like, okay, sure. Okay. Uh, but here, let's, one thing I want to get out of the way first, there are clearly valid inputs. I mean, valid, uh, complaints and concerns that everybody is absolutely justified for and that everybody should absolutely be complaining about. Drive rush is eating inputs hundred percent needs to be fixed. Like, there's not even a question about that. Like, I don't, I don't even, there's just nothing to say about that. That should not happen. <laughs> that should not happen. Why hasn't that been fixed yet? Uh, people are complaining about the matchmaking. So uh, a lot of people can get great matches, but if you're in a, a lesser populated area, there's a weird, like, wall that they don't let you go challenge people in other regions or so. And so some people can't get matches on ranked, like, ever. Some people say that they actually just sit there for 20 minutes and there's just like literally no, nothing. <laughs> they just get no matches. It takes 20 minutes for a match. Some people say they never get matches. So uh, we definitely need to fix that. I know a lot of people are complaining, where's our costumes? I feel like Capcom's trying to be fair and having costumes for every, every, oh yeah, see, Latam's says he's region locked, so he has to use a VPN. Uh, but a lot of people are complaining, where's the costumes? I want to buy costumes. And sure enough, showing uh, Capcom that people are wanting to buy costumes. And I feel like Capcom is working hard. Like, my suspicion is that they're trying to get costumes out for every character all at once. So it doesn't feel like they're favoring some characters. So maybe they don't end up in that situation with, like, 90 Chun-Li costumes. And, like, all the Fong players are like, where's my costumes? Maybe they're trying to be fair to everyone. But... It's kind of backfiring on them. Like, they probably thought that was a good idea, but it seems to be backfiring because it seems like everyone wants costumes now. And so they've teased, like, a bunch of costumes, and everyone's like, where's the costumes? And whatever they did in Street Fighter V worked because people want costumes, and modding is getting up pretty rampant at this point in time. So uh, a lot of, yeah, I, I mean, honestly, uh, costumes would be cool. I, I don't know if people would be mad if they released costumes in small little bundles or released costumes one at a time, you know, I think people would be okay with that. And, um, I mean, if we end up with 19 Chun-Li costumes, I mean, you guys did it in five cause it worked. It, it, it people bought them. So, you know, it's like, <laughs> oh man. Um, so yeah, those things, those things outside of the game, Absolutely valid complaints, and you know what? Uh, Capcom definitely needs to look, because a lot of people are saying that outside of the DLC coming out, it feels like Capcom is just completely gone radio silence, right? They said they're going to do patches once a year. I said in the last video, I think that's too little. I really do think that's too little. I still think we don't need a patch right now because we're only in month five, but six months is usually a pretty valid place to put patches, especially if you just do really small things. People get excited about really, really small things. They do, honestly. Uh, I just think Avatar stuff is more lucrative and can't be modded 
modern community makes costumes that are kind of competing with that, perhaps. Maybe. But a lot of people don't want to go out and try to find the costumes. They, they'd rather just use the in-game ones, and I think that that works, really. Um, but yeah, like Keiju Kaze actually says, uh, content for the game is stale. You know, I think it's really impressive because they've actually added all the, you know, uh, world tour stuff for Aki and Rashid when they come out. And I think that that has actually kind of made it harder for them to, like, that's what they're working on. Because I don't think it's that easy to record and create all the content for those DLC with all of the quests and do all these things and test all that stuff. And so the world tour stuff might be getting in their way, but I don't want them not to make the world tour stuff. Uh, their staff might not be that large for Street Fighter DLC content. You never know, right? And people are like, well, it takes modders only one day to make costumes. Yeah, there's no approval process, and there's no tweaking and testing and all these things like that, right? It's, it's a completely different story. Like, if you're modding your own costume, no one is telling you what you should do or what you shouldn't do, right? I mean, I'm sure it's like for actually Capcom, they're like, how about this costume? And they draw it out and they're like, change this, change this. Oh, how about this? Change this, change this. How about this? Change this, change this. And then once they start making it, eh, tweak this, uh, do this. No, I don't like this. Oh, uh, actually, Upper Brass says delete this. And, oh, God, it's so crazy. So, uh, yeah, we do, you know, and I feel like, <laughs> out of everything patches might be the easiest thing to do <laughs> so <laughs> maybe patches are a good way to placate people like hey look we're updating the game so it might be actually a good way to go <laughs> just make some patches like hey kim has an oddp now kim has an oddp now please kim has an oddp now please please so yeah i think uh i think uh I think it's a I think it's a little bit harder than people think for them, but at the same time, we do probably need some more coming out of them. We probably do need some more communication and more awareness and you know more like, hey, we hear you guys about patches. Here's our logic why we still don't want to patch just yet or something like that. You know, like at least talk to us a little bit. And I think that would be really really cool. Um, but. Let's talk about the balance of the game and what a lot of people are complaining about. How do we fix Street Fighter VI? So, uh, first of all, let's just talk about the character balance, right? So, if we just talk, if we don't change anything else and we want to talk about the character balance, clearly there's some characters that need more love than others. Like, regardless of how balanced the game actually is, which it is, and the fact that any character can win because they can. Obviously, some characters take a lot more work. And if you are a player, especially if you are an intermediate player using Jamie, or if you're an intermediate player using Manon, it's that much more frustrating because the character's weaknesses are that much more uh, apparent because you know, you're not at that level where you can make up for the weaknesses as badly, right? So you're fighting these Kens that just Jinrai kick you to death and Kamis that dive kick you to death and, and Kims that just mix you in the corner to death. And you're just like, this is so dumb. My character is so bad because you don't know how to win with the character. So you're absolutely correct. You're ab uh, and Zangief, yeah, exactly. And Zangief and Lily. So you're absolutely correct, you know, like the, 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 the you know, I've often said at the lowest level, tears don't matter. It's true. But as you get stronger and stronger into the game, the tears start to matter more. And I would probably say once you get past intermediate, the tears really start to really, really rear their ugly head until you become 
you know, good enough to overcome that. And by that point, you're usually in like uh, master and a little beyond master at that point. You're probably around like at the 1500s uh, of master rank where you can actually make up for your character's weaknesses because you understand them. But when you're learning the game, you don't know what the weaknesses are because you don't have as much knowledge of the game. And, uh, you know, it's, it's a tough situation. It is a tough situation for a lot of these players. So, you know, Jamie users, Zangief users, Manonia, they definitely need buffs. But again, the, the scariest thing is, and I'll use the Tetris Puyo Puyo example for this, is that when you're trying to balance Tetris and Puyo Puyo in Tetris Puyo Puyo, Puyo Tetris, because you can play either game against each other, if you balance for the mid-tier at the top tier, Tetris is too strong, I think. And if you balance for the top tier at mid-tier, Puyo Puyo is too strong. And so what are you, how are you supposed to do this, right? Where do you balance it out at? So you have to be very, very careful with balancing. Fortunately, with fighting games, there's a lot more leeway for balancing than there is for something like Puyo Puyo Tetris. So a lot of these characters who are low tier, they don't need a lot. And I said it in this previous video over here. Honestly, if you just gave every character an ODDP, like that's it. Like you would almost balance the game out completely. Like, that's the biggest weakness for a lot of these characters. A lot of these characters have trouble. Like, it sucks that Zangief is the weakest defensively that Zangief has ever been in his entire life. In his entire life. This is the weakest he's ever been. And it's like, it's sad. <laughs> it's very, very sad, right? And so, you know, I think every character should get an ODDP wake-up, right? And let's be creative here. We don't have to give everybody a straight-up ODDP. I talked about this a little bit on Twitter, but, like, we can be creative here. We can find ways to make it so it's fair because if you gave Marisa a wake-up DP, if you gave Dalsam a wake-up DP, clearly those two characters would be broken. Like, they're good enough and they're close enough to being right there, right under the top tier. But I think if you actually gave them OD wake-ups, they might become a little too strong. Again, yes, you can bait out ODDPs and kill people for doing them. So obviously it's like, well, you know what? Maybe it doesn't balance them, whatever. But the truth is that the threat of having that kind of an option changes a lot. And we have to acknowledge that. The fact that somebody has to walk up and then maybe consider blocking is a big deal. If you, you know, especially if you don't have a super on your wake up. It is a big deal to have that kind of uh, a threat. And it, and it evens out the playing field a little bit. Because even if you go for a true throw loop and then some guy wake up EXs you, you're just like, ah, oh, dang it. And so I, I really feel like we need to do stuff like that. But what do I mean by be creative, right? Well, for Lily and Kimberly, I think both, they should just have their ODDPs work. Like Kimberly's spin kick, Lily's uppercut, they should just work exactly as ODDPs. And I think they'll be fine. A lot of people are mad, you know, like, oh my God, Kimberly is so annoying. You can't give that to her. Ah. But honestly, like I said, at the highest levels, that won't even make Kimberly remotely top five like she might still not even be top 10 potentially she'll be really strong but she'll she won't just get blown up in a lot of situations and a lot of these tournaments the reason why we see a lot of these characters have less success is because they are more susceptible to all the corner pressure that a lot of other characters don't have to deal with
So for Kimberly and Lily, if you just gave them their ODDPs back, I don't think that actually breaks them, right? But what am I talking about? Be creative. Marisa, for example, right now she has OD Scutum that can actually stop. It's an armor on first frame, so and high and low as well. So basically she can use it to defeat attacks, but she doesn't have anything that defeats throws. Her level one doesn't even defeat throws. The only thing that she has is a true wake up that'll beat attacks and throws is her level two. Now, I have said that I do think if you give her a valid OD wake-up, she would probably be too strong because she's already right there, you know, clearly as a, car as a player like Big Bird uh, has shown. So I think that what we can... Oh, yeah, and level three. Okay, Marisa, the, the lowest resource thing that she has to escape, throw, and attack is level two. Obviously, level three works as well, but in terms of lowest resource usage uh, is, is her level two. And for all the characters that need it, like Lily and Kimberly and Manon, their level ones have a startup. So Manon, Kimberly, and Lily have their startups at uh, level one startups at 11, 12, and 13, if I'm not mistaken. It's like 10, 12, and 13, or 11, 12, and 13. Whereas Luke is a six frame startup, Ken is a seven frame startup, like Jury's seven frame startup. Like all the characters that have ODDPs also have the fastest level ones. Characters that don't have OTDPs have the slowest level ones that you could throw a jab in and block in time and kill them. So they're nerfed in that way too. So, I mean, there is one idea, just speed up all their level ones, but that changes some of the combo routes and stuff that I think that they're worried about that they don't want to do. I think the level ones are largely balanced on some combo routes uh, and, that, and stuff they don't want it to work and such. But I just think giving them an ODDP is the better answer for that. But for Marisa... Uh, I don't think giving her an ODDP is the right answer. Like I said, I don't think that these are the right answers, but I'm just trying to give examples of how to think about it differently so that we can create a situation where they have the ability to escape both options, attack and throw, without being overpowered. I think OD Scutum uh, should basically automatically tech throws. So it doesn't beat throws but she just returns her into a zero situation. And if she's in the corner and you're going for a throw loop, she's still in the corner. But at least it gives her a way to counter throws and attacks if she doesn't want to have to try to make that guess on which one it is. Having the ability to throw that out to beat attacks or throws is a very powerful weapon to have. Having the, uh, having a good, uh, oh, so, uh, is there a good enough punish for that? See, that's the problem, is that OD Scutum, you obviously can follow up with something right away, and that's what would make it really, really scary. So I have thought about, uh, you know, having it so that it... Like, the way that... I, I forgot. I came up with a way to make it work, and I can't remember what it was because I sat there... I was doing this while I was trying to fall asleep one day to help me fall asleep, and I came up with a system. It was like maybe make OD Scutum so that it can't follow up unless it armors something, uh, except, no, oh, but that doesn't make sense because then you can't do the command. I don't remember what I did. I can't remember what I did. Maybe make, oh, shoot. I'll have to think about it. Let me think about that one again. But, uh, you know, as an example, okay, so maybe not the best example there. Uh, but for someone like Dalsum, who I'm also worried about for uh, wake-ups as well, 
Uh, I think one of the good ways to do Dalsim, for example, is to give him an OD float. And that would seem kind of weird. <laughs> but if you hit down in three kicks, he does an invincible float where he goes up into the air and uh, he, he floats, basically. And then, um, interestingly enough, he throws a fireball right away in the air. So if you do OD float, he goes up into the air, invincible, and just throws a fireball right away. So he goes up in the air, throws a fireball right away. So if I try to meet you and you do that and you go up into the air and throw a fireball and I block it, I can kill you. <laughs> Dalsim is still dead. It doesn't help. But then if you do give him an air EX teleport, that's basically maybe not invincible on the first frame, but invincible on like a faster frame. And then what happens is that you can cancel the OD flow into an OD teleport. And then he can get across the screen. If you give him a raw OD teleport, it's too powerful. If he can get away from you like that, that's too much. That's too strong. And the reason why I think this would be an interesting uh, middle ground is because if you wanted to do OD float into OD teleport, it would cost you four bars. And it would be really expensive. <laughs> it would be really expensive to do it. Yeah, four bars to get out, basically. So I think that would be hurtful for Dalsim because if you really want to get out, you'll probably burn yourself out the, the, the majority of the time. And I think that would be kind of interesting. For Manon. Now this one is probably going to be kind of crazy here. Uh, but I wouldn't give her any way to escape the throw or the attack until she builds up to a level three metal. Now her EX throw actually is invul <laughs> to a, or maybe level four, uh, maybe level four. Now her EX throw is invul, <laughs> which is hella scary because that makes her offense scarier. She can poke through minus frames and do all sorts of scary things and really, really kill you. But at least you would have to work to get to that point. <laughs> It might be too broken. Maybe only at level five can she actually get that. Because uh, keep in mind that a lot, like a lot of people used to were scared of the medal count, but Manons are having trouble getting the medals. And they're really, whenever they get the medals, the reward isn't enough. Because it's just too hard to get in on people. So a lot of the times they forego getting the medals to get better Oki. But now if they actually work at the metals and now the OD grab actually turns into an invul grab that can bust through moves and be a wake up and stuff like that, I think it would be really kind of interesting. <laughs> I think that would be kind of interesting. Then th there would be more reason for them to go for the metals and a better reward. Work her way up from no armor to armor to invul. That would be interesting. <laughs> that would be interesting. Or, or, or maybe work up to being like, it'll becomes throw invul first. And then it becomes completely invul. Like at level three, it just becomes throw invul. And then at level five, it just becomes completely invul. I think, I think that would be really interesting. But again, it'd be fun, fun ways to come up with different things. I think Zangief should have an EX Tundra Storm that works like Amnesia. Just doesn't work against airborne moves, so you can't use it as an anti-air. 
but if you throw it or attack the EX Thunderstorm, the OD Thunderstorm, he automatically counters you. And give him some sick animations. Give him an animation for kicks. Give him an animation for punches. Give him an animation for throws. And give him an animation for all the other things. What World Tour calls unique attacks. Thanks, World Tour. But like if it's a full body attack, he has a different thing. So just give him four different uh, OD Thunderstorm an animations. And I think that would be actually be kind of sick. And then just... Like amnesia, you just bait it out and you murder him. You know, if if he if I think that's I think that would be cool. <laughs> I think that would be neat for Zangief to have, and then make it so that the OD OD Thunderstorm does a lot less damage and gives you no Oki at all whatsoever. I think that would be uh, that would be something very very important. Honda, I think it would be interesting to make it so that his butt slam is throw invul and his headbutt is hit it is still armored as it is. So he's one of the unfortunate characters that has to make the guess between one or the other. But at least that he has that option, right? At least that option exists at all. But the thing about Street Fighter V is when the game first came out, only four characters had non-EX uh, invul DPs. And that seemed broken, so they took them away. But when you actually look at Street Fighter VI, the majority of the characters have ODDPs. And so the characters that don't are at such a disadvantage. So instead of taking it away from everybody, I think you really should give them to me. Aki, that's right. Aki needs something too. Oh, gosh. I haven't really thought about how Aki works. Because if that, if that command dash actually escapes throws as well... But, I mean, you could call it out and punish it on the other side if you call it out, to be honest with you. You're never going to get hit by it. And, frankly, Aki could use the love. <laughs> I think Aki having a, just a true, completely invul command dash, I think is fair. <laughs> I don't even think it would make her broken. It's not like she's a zoner anyway. <laughs> when she gets a full screen away from you, it doesn't make her more powerful. She's going to try to get back in on you anyway. <laughs> So I think it actually kind of works that the EX Slither would actually word work. And yeah, I mean, obviously, so Ocean from Blue says that it's hard to punish the recovery. It's so fast. Extend the recovery on it a little bit, you know, just add, add a little bit more recovery on it or something like that. You know, there's, there's different ways to, to or just it's not add recovery, but add more vulnerable frames on it, right? So uh, more hittable frames at the end. And I think that would work just fine, honestly, because Aki needs the help anyway. Uh, she re she does need help. Mm. If she switches sides with you, if I'm not mistaken, uh, it's slide so strike invincible for the entire duration. If it slide passes through the opponent, can be punished by throws. So yeah, it's still punishable by throws. But um, you can add some vulnerable frames. Just add some vulnerable frames to it. Just do it. Why not? So by giving it the invul at the front, put the vulnerable at the end. Basically, all I'm saying is that I just feel like every character needs some sort of OD wake-up escape because not having it is too detrimental to you uh, for the game. And it doesn't have to be so straightforward that one move does everything where it's always just a hit. You know, JP's amnesia is really interesting. JP's amnesia, again, is weak because it doesn't work against uh, lights and stuff like that. Like, it works against lights and it forces the opponent to block a little bit. Or they even have the ability to throw you or have a mix-up on you. 
And the only way that JP gets the big damage combos is if he's completely in the corner. When you watched uh, Moke versus JP, he just jabbed him, jabbed JP on JP's wake up the entire time. And it really nullified the uh, amnesia pretty badly. So, and you know, a lot of people are like, well, I like characters being different and stuff. No, no, not in this game. Like, I get it. I, I want variety. I want some characters not have ODDBs, et cetera, et cetera. But in this game, they need help. Like, it's just the, 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 the as long as throw loops still exist in the game, uh, you need to have that ability to get away from that. So speaking of throw loops, by the way, a lot of people have been complaining about throw loops and, and, and want something to be fixed for those. The OD wake up. Like as soon as you give someone OD wake up, that I think fixes throw loops because like literally uh, I have no reason to not try to go for throw loops on characters like Marisa and Lily and Dalsam and Honda. You know, I just don't have any reason not to try to go. So it's, you're just really powerful. But as long as I have that thought in the mind, my head that they're gonna OD wake up, I mean, I mean, again, like, how how often have you seen like Kens and Luke's die to throw loops, right? <laughs> how often have you seen them die to throw loops? And they just they don't really do because you're scared of the OD wake up. Same for Amnesia, right? You're not you're not gonna throw loop JP, and when you do, you know you're taking a risk. And so I, I, once you add OD wake ups to every character, I don't think throw loops are a problem anymore. Uh, honestly. Uh, secondly, how would I fix Jamie and Ryu? Jamie, I would get put him at 1 point damage, 1.0 damage right at the start, and that the drinks would buff him from there. Um, so level 3, he'd just be ridiculous. I mean, like, level 3, he's already ridiculously strong. But, like, uh, I just don't think there's a reason to start him at weaker damage, honestly. <clears throat> Uh, yeah, some people are saying make people do drive rushes to get a, tr a true throw loop. That's another one, that, and that would actually work pretty decently. Uh, would be an interesting way to do it. Um, uh, but in terms of fixing Jamie, I really want him just to be at 1.0 damage from the get-go. I think that'll just help almost immediately for Jamie, because if he doesn't get a chance to build up the drinks, it's like... You just start in a completely weakened fashion. Like he needs to start in a more balanced fashion and the drinks need to be bigger rewards considering that they reset every single round. So I think that's kind of the right way to do that. Uh, I don't know if that would fix Jamie necessarily, but that would definitely be a good mid-season patch because then nothing would change for Jamie and then we can see how it works and keep buffing him as we go. Uh, and for Ryu, uh, I want it so if you do the Denjin charge, that uh, the next fireball actually just drains a chunk of your drive gauge. I, I just want Ryu's fireball to be threatening. And the reason why it's not threatening is because when he throws fireballs at you, if you parry it, you, you're, you're at a zero sum. And if you perfect parry it, you can usually punish it and stuff like that. Ryu's fireball is just not scary enough. If he does dungeon charge and he throws a fireball and if it drains a whole block, even if you parry it or not, like it just drains a block. Now you're back to that game where you want to neutral jump the fireball more often. And I think that would actually be really kind of sick. So now Ryu can actually charge up the fireball and throw it. And now when he charges up the fireball, you're so scared of blocking a fireball that you will jump. And now he can play the fireball game. 
and by forcing you to have to charge up and do it, you know, you have to find that spot to, to charge up. I think that would be really, really interesting. Because, uh, again, I just want the fireball to be strong again. The reason why Guile's fireball is good is because he recovers so fast. But Ryu needs to have a strong fireball again. But the only reason why his fireball has been strong in previous games is because you're scared of the chip damage. You're not scared of it. Even if I don't drive parry it, like, I'm not even scared of it, right? I block it. I don't even take chip damage at all. So if you made it so that, like, if you're just, like, a screen away and you're like, I'm winning in life. I'm just going to sit back here. What are you going to do, Ryu? Ryu can go Dungeon Charge Fireball. Now you have to be scared of getting burned out. Or if he's charged and he knocks you down, he gets a free meaty Fireball to drain a block unless you, unless you wake up and perfect parry it. Or wake up and parry well, Even if you wake up and parry it, maybe you lose half a bar instead of losing a whole block or something like that. But in any case... Just as a way to make it so that you're scared of the fireball, I think that would be really, really important. And it would be a unique skill that only exists for Ryu, uh, that he literally just has more burnout technique like that, that he has extra ways to burn you out that other characters don't. And I think that would also fit in with the whole, like, you know, very focused warrior hitting you in the, you know, chief, chief fireballs and just being really strong. I, I think that would be really, really cool that if his goal was to burn you out and then just chip you to death with fireballs and stuff like that. I think that was cool. I think that would be cool. Um, so that's what I would do for the characters. Uh, I mean, obviously, outside of getting OD wake-ups, you know, maybe Zangief and Lily could use more love. But honestly, I would just do that and that's it and see where they stand. I would see where they stand if that's enough to make them better characters already just by getting that. If you gave Lily an ODDP, if you gave Zangief an OD uh, Tundrastorm, I would like to see how they'd function afterwards if they would be that much stronger already. I want to see if that supports my theory that having an OD wake up automatically makes you a better character. Uh, because again, it's real. Like I, I, every time I play Zangief, the way that I die with Zangief is when I get rushed down in the corner, and it's just really sad. It's just really sad because like Zangief's offense is so bad, and and he has the worst defense like in the entire game. Like why, why, <laughs> why is this the situation here, man? Come on, come on. Um, but let's talk about the systems, right? Someone talked about Drive Rush. People are talking about Drive Rush. Drive Rush is the, the biggest uh, culprit in the game right now. Um, first of all, I would not change any raw Drive Rush consumption because that would throw the game just completely out of whack. Like, the game would change completely. Like, it would be a completely different game all of a sudden. Uh, I would be okay with Drive Rush cancel being four bars, but Jesus Christ, like, I feel like then it's almost too expensive and I'm not even sure if people are as worried about that because it's the canceled drive rushes that have more weaknesses, right? Like a lot of characters with ODDPs uh, can actually just blow up drive rush cancels, right? So we've been seeing that a lot more recently. And so I don't necessarily know if upping the, the only the cost on the canceled drive rush is going to change much because I think most people are frustrated with the raw drive rushes because the mental stack, right? You're worried about impacts and jumps and dashes, and then all of a sudden a drive rush comes at you, a raw drive rush comes at you from nowhere, and it, what? Um, honestly, I don't want to change the, um, 
obviously, as I mentioned earlier, make it so it doesn't eat inputs, of course. But I don't want to change the cost because a lot of characters need multiple drive rushes in a combo, uh, multiple dr raw drive rushes to, to compete. Like Kimberly has some good combos that require multiple drive rushes. So if you have more than one drive rush uh, and it takes two bars, for example, now you can barely do anything. Um, some people have suggested, well, then only in neutral, but if the enemy is in hit stun, then it only costs one. But in neutral, at that point, so there's a video game design philosophy that you do not want to make things too complicated. You just, it's so complicated at that point. I've told the story many times that I told my friend about the fighting game that I created and he was like, no one will play your fighting game. I was like, what are you talking about? It's so deep and complex. Everyone's got all this crazy shit. And he was like, nobody's gonna wanna take the time to learn this. And, I, and now I understand what he means. If we change it so that raw drive rush is only one bar, uh, while the enemy is in a combo, but two bars while it's a new... Dude, that's so confusing. Like, we just don't want to do that, right? And so, um, the, 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 the problem with drive rushes right now is you do not get much reward for checking a drive rush. The reward for landing a drive rush is high because if it hits you, it's so easy to confirm into a combo. And if you block it, they're plus. Like, that's it. <laughs> like, you're just like, damn it. So uh, there definitely needs to be a little bit more. Now, one thing that we can do is make it so that drive reversals are faster. So even if someone does drive rush like standing medium kick or crouching strong, a drive reversal would be able to actually beat that, right? So drive reversals are something we'll get into a little bit as well on how to fix that. But the problem with drive rush is the risk and the reward is not there. If I drive rush and the guy checks me with a crouching medium kick, whatever. But if I drive rush and I hit you, I get big old combo. If you block, I get mix up and now you're in a scary kind of situation. The problem with it is, is that the risk and reward is too skewed in the favor of the raw drive rush. So the way to balance drive rush potentially is not to make it cost more or whatever, but to make it more painful when they get hit, right? So one suggestion has always been drive rush, you are in a punish counter state, right? You are literally in a punish counter state. Now, it's, it's hard to balance that because technically as soon as you hit a button when you're in drive rush, you're out of drive rush, right? Like you're literally out of drive rush now. Now you're just in regular, you know, attack, startup, active recovery kind of things. But I don't think it would be too hard for them to code moves done out of drive rush because you maintain momentum. So now, uh, I mean, obviously that's a physics engine thing more than anything else, but uh, different moves have different physics associated with them. So I don't think it would be really hard to code the uh, ability to make it so that a move done out of a drive rush is technically kind of like a different move and just has a punish counter state built onto them the entire time, right? So now if I'm really smart and I check it with something like a JP stand fierce or a Kimberly stand fierce or a Ken stand heavy kick, 
if I really want to hit that drive rush, now they do that crazy pop-up thing or the crazy real thing and I get big damage off of that kind of situation. But even if I don't, even if I hit it with a crouching medium, he's gonna get punish counter. Maybe I can actually, and maybe make it so that because they're sliding forward, when you hit them out of the move, they don't slide back as far. So like, in other words, when you normally get hit, you get pushed back a little bit, but the drive rush momentum actually cancels out the, the backwards momentum. So in other words, if you drive rush and I hit you, you actually stay in place. So I get a punish counter and I get to link stuff off of it a lot easier. It's almost like I'm doing a combo at point blank range. And I think that would be uh, a little better, right? The other thing that I would do to nerf it, which is to address what Anti-Mage is talking about here, it says, I can't check DJ's drive rush anyway. I would extend the hurt box. Like if you drive rush, like there should just be a bigger hurt box in front of you. So I think it should just be easier to hit. It, it really just should be easier to hit. Maybe even make the freeze a little bit longer at the start so it's easier for people to react to it or something. But that's always the danger of making them too weak. So, and again, I don't want to change them so much that they become a completely different mechanic. So right now, I'd leave them as they are on offense. I don't want to nerf anything they can do. I want to nerf the ability, their, their inability to be countered. So in other words, now if you hit them, you get more damage. And if you drive rush, you have a bigger hurt box. And if you don't get pushed back when you get hit out of a drive rush, then you can combo off of that bigger hurt box a little bit easier as well. <clears throat> oh, jury medium, standing medium drive rush is definitely absurd uh, because that move also has two hits. Keep in mind that too. So the first hit is actually like five frames. And so it hits at multiple ranges and all this other stuff. So that's one of the things that makes it really, really powerful. Uh, top Hot Gaming? I was on Top Hot Gaming. It, it's for really, really hot esports personalities, right? I mean, <sighs> clearly, I mean, look at this specimen here. They look at this Top Hot Esports gaming. Uh, oh, top hat gaming. Man, you got me all excited, Hyperfentanyl Force. I thought you meant top hot gaming. Dang it. Man. <sighs> well, I would be featured on top hot gaming. Let's just put it that way, if that was actually a thing. Uh, but making it so that you could actually punish drive rushes more significantly to balance out the risk and reward. Now, if I check you out of your drive rush, out of a raw drive rush, I can potentially get bigger combos on you. And I think that would be neat. Like, for example, I mean, you know how, for example, in third strike, when you dash forward and you get swept, instead of falling backwards, you fall forward? Like there's that little extra kind of thing. Maybe they just make it so that if you hit someone out of a drive rush, it's a punish counter and they stumble forward. <laughs> like they just get a new hit animation where they stumble forward a little bit. Like that would be kind of crazy because then you could combo them and then the reward for stopping the drive rush would be as high as landing the drive rush. And so now the drive rush has to be more calculated and boom, you fix drive rushes that way without changing what they're able to do, right? You just make it so that now people are more scared to do them. I, I, I just like, 
the problem is when people are trying to balance things, they're not looking at what it, they think drive rush is too strong. Why is drive, they think it's too strong because I can't check it, et cetera, et cetera. No, the problem with drive rush is that the risk and reward is too in favor of the drive rush. If we just balance the risk and reward for the drive rush, it becomes now more of a, I have to be careful kind of thing. I had a loop player who literally drive rushed at me at the start of the round 100% of the time. And I would hit him out of it, but it really wouldn't amount to anything. And there was no reason for him to be discouraged because now it actually kind of makes a good mix up for him. But if I made, if it made it so that he drive rush and I hit him and he stumbled forward and was punished counter length and I could do this big old combo on him, he'd be like, shoot, I really, really shouldn't do that. And yeah, they want this game to be offensive as possible. But again, smart players are still going to be aggressive with that drive rush. You're still going to be able to cancel into it because canceling into it, you know, you're still going to hit buttons and stuff. So it's not going to be a situation where all those nerfs are going to hurt it as much. The game is still going to be plenty offensive. Like it's, it's not going to be as different, but at least we have to think a little bit more differently about the raw drive rush. And now we can actually just make it so people just can't throw it out mindlessly. And I don't even think Capcom would be disagreeing with that. I think that would be a great way to fix Drive Rush, honestly. Uh, drive Impacts. Uh, clearly, I hate Drive Impacts. I really, really hate Drive Impacts because I just never think of them. And they're, and they're, they're so good at beating things. God, like when you're Aki and you do standing heavy kick into crowd crouch and then the double kick follow up, the fact that people can just drive impact and kill you, obviously you have the command throw, but that's such a hard read that you have to make. It's just, it's really irritating. Drive impacts are... Uh, but the problem is, do they need change, right? I mean, Lurker Spy in the chat says that they, he doesn't even think they need change. Like, and Ocean from Blue says drive impact is the most balanced. Like, good for you guys. <laughs> that shit ain't balanced for me, dude. Like, as soon as my opponent finds out I can't stop drive impacts, I get murdered. And every time I get into the corner, the amount of mental stack I have to dedicate to drive impact is, is, is basically debilitating that people just start jumping all over me and just doing whatever they want because I have to think about drive impact so much. <laughs> okay, so Lurker Spine says, yeah, I have to put in a lot of work to counter DIs as well. Uh, but again, that, okay, you're saying you think it's a you problem and not a game problem. <sighs> not necessarily because... A lot of times you need to come up with systems that don't... It's basically like, for example, if you made a game like Marvel where you can't win at Marvel if you don't have execution, right? So they put Hulk in the game, right? Now you don't really need that much execution. Sentinel's in the game. You don't need that much execution. And you can win, right? The problem with it is, is that every human is different. And no, not everybody's going to get to the point where they can fight drive impacts well. That's just not a realistic thing. People have different reaction speeds. But you've put in a whole giant mechanic into a game where there's just nothing you can do except have a reaction. Like you've literally created a, a mechanic that people cannot stop by practice or by getting better at some people just aren't going to be able to get 
to that position, right? Origami King says, have one skill or you can't play that situation. And that right there is the problem, right? That's the biggest problem with it. And so, you know, the way that I've always wanted to do drive impacts a little bit differently, which I think would be uh, a, a litter, a literal better. Uh, dude, it doesn't matter uh, to parry or I just don't hit buttons. I see the drive impact and I'm just like, oh, and I do nothing. I do literally nothing. So if you told me to drive parry, it won't make a difference. I have to still... I still have to do something. I still have to react as opposed to just seeing it and being like, hmm, and die. So one, how I would fix drive impacts is one, give us the dang shortcut. Give us light kick plus medium punch, please, or, me or medium kick plus heavy punch. But I would just like light kick plus medium punch as a drive impact, as an alternate drive impact input. Please, please give us that because that would help us a lot. That would help us a lot. Uh, the other one that I've always thought would actually just kind of work is that um, it puts you in a guard break state in the corner instead. So if you're in the corner and you hit the wall, you bounce off the wall, and now you're in a guard break state in which you can't do anything but block. And so the opponent basically just gets to have free offense on you, but it drains a whole block of your drive gauge. Then when you're burnt out, then it goes back to the stun that we have already. So the burnout stun, fine. That's, that's part of the game. Cool. But like, I feel like if they just made it so that if you block it in the corner and you hit the wall, you get stunned a little bit. And then uh, at that point, the enemy gets free offense. Like maybe almost even enough time to get a free jump in on you or something like that. I think that would uh, work pretty decently. I think that would actually be a little bit fair uh, because now, you know, you block it and it sucks. But at least you're not just like dead instantaneously. <laughs> at least you're not dead instantaneously. So uh, it's just such a powerful technique. And as Automatic said, if the game started leaning more towards the manipulation of the drive gauge, I think that would be pretty sick. Heck, make it if the enemy bounces off the wall, they drain a block and you gain a block. Right? You actually gain a block. The only problem with that is now, if you throw over the drive impact, if the person counters it, it's really unfair, right? Like, again, now the risk reward is so skewed that nobody will probably ever do it because uh, now if you get countered, you lose a chunk of life. But if, they, if you block it, you don't necessarily die. That's the main reason why I think they have it so that it's so powerful in the corner because otherwise nobody would ever do drive impact. So I don't know, maybe if you counter drive impact, it automatically becomes scaled like a 50% like a drive parry kind of thing. You know, like the, the, the next thing automatically becomes scaled. So if you do counter it, you don't get as much damage off of it or something like that. Or, I mean, you could just change it so that if you counter it, you just drain a block of their gauge. But at the same time, like the, 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 the drive impact counter is exciting and, it, and it's great for casual viewers. So it's nice to have there. It's a really tough one to, to balance. Honestly, if I wanted to balance drive impact right now, like before a big season change evaluation, 
Give us the shortcut. Give us a shortcut. Give us the alternate input. Light kick plus medium punch. And I know some people want that for parry, but I don't think it's as bad. Parries, yeah, you kind of do need reactions, but if you miss the parry, you don't die. So some people said make that parry and then light kick plus heavy punch as the drive impact. But I'd rather just have it where my hands are floating the entire time to be able to hit light kick and medium punch and drive parry. A lot of times when you're drive parrying, you're doing it in anticipation as well anyway. Drive parries are a lot more setups and you're not in a live or die situation a lot of the times with drive parry when it comes to, uh, when it comes to uh, need, using it in a pinch, uh, honestly. So uh, yeah, see Kraken, that's what I don't want. I don't actually want that. I, I, I would prefer having light kick medium punch as uh, drive impact because that's just the easiest one to access for me and I think it would help I'd probably still die a lot of the time but it would certainly help because a lot of the times the reason why I don't slide my hand over to my macro button on the side is because my brain is like it's too far you can't reach it in time and so like I'll just like keep mashing jab or just keep mashing the buttons that I'm mashing at the time hoping that I can get the armor break and it usually doesn't work uh, honestly, so you don't want to swap any of the shortcuts, uh, honestly, especially with throw because throw, uh, uh, is, is so muscle memory to so many games that way as throw. Uh, I think that would be a problem, <laughs> but that's how I would fix drive impacts. Honestly, um, I've talked about the throw loops already. What, um, I should have wrote down, I know I can't, what's, what other things, oh, modern controls a lot of people are mad at. Dude, whatever, we still haven't proven anything for modern controls yet. However, I feel like a good way to fix modern controls is to make it, so I, I don't know what way to, 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 to program the controller. Oh, what's up, yo, dude? I don't know how to program the controller on modern controller because every combination is used. I put out a tweet where I suggested one and then someone told me that that's actually the input for uh, OD moves. And I was like, crap. So I deleted the tweet. But what I would actually do, good God, Jesus Christ. I can't even lift this controller without knocking everything over. Uh, I, the way that I would actually tweak it is that, for example, uh, let's say I, God, I don't even know. So the, the shift button for auto combos plus special comes out as a special move. If there was some other button combination for supers, because supers right now is just two button, is a direction plus two buttons at the same time. I would want like a shift mechanic where you actually have to hold something down and then tap the other button to activate super, but you have to tap it three times. Like one, two, three, one, two, three to actually activate the super. Or maybe even just at least twice. Maybe even just twice, because on a, on a pad, it's hard to do three times, and it would be annoying. But for some people, maybe at least twice. I mean, on a joystick, you could do, still do finger slides and stuff like that. But, I mean, at least it wouldn't be just like an instant last-second super kind of thing that you would still need to have some sort of anticipation, uh, I think, is, is, uh, is really good. Uh, direction plus one button is how you pick between the supers already uh, anti-mage, so... Dreams of Morpheus, there are legitimate limits to many people's reaction times, right? As in some are worse than others. If so, reaching to DI will legit be harder for some. Yeah, I think so. Like, I think my reactions are legit bad. Everyone's like, oh, you're just not used to DIs. 
people used to tell me that about anti-airs too. But the thing about it is, I've been playing fighting games forever. You go back to when I was younger, I still couldn't anti-air very well. I still got jumped in on a lot and I made up for it because in ST I played Cammy and Cammy I could just DP after blocking a jump attack and even if they baited it out and blocked it, Cammy would get away because she would be safe on block with her DP. With Zangief, I would block a jump attack and then just buffer in a spinning pile driver. I was bad at anti-airing my whole entire life. My reactions have never gotten better. My reactions, my visual reactions are just slow. It has nothing to do with age. It literally has nothing to do with age because you see guys like Daigo and stuff like that, their reactions are fine. It literally has nothing to do with age. And uh, it probably has more to do with my ADHD than anything because my psychiatrist said that I have trouble reacting to things because I have too much information in my head and I can't empty it out to focus on certain things. So whenever certain things happen, I, ha I have like nine thoughts pass through my head before I can actually react to it. I go, oh, it's a jump. Oh, wait, so wait, if it, is it really a jump? Okay, it is a jump. So wait, that, that's right, I have to do something to a jump. Like, it's like, it's crazy. It's crazy at, at that point. I've been seeing a psychiatrist for like, <laughs> 20 years already, factory worker one. Uh, unfortunately, my first psychiatrist uh, moved up north, so I stopped seeing her. My second psychiatrist passed away, and now I'm seeing a, a third psychiatrist right now. Um, but yeah, balancing for the diverse range of pr people's reactions time is a tricky challenge, which is why I think the mechanic is kind of, which is why I personally hate drive impacts. Well, I think they're just a bad mechanic, but I don't want to get rid of them. I'm trying to figure out a way to make them work even for people with bad reactions and giving us that shortcut, I think would help a lot already. I think that would be uh, very, very useful. So, um, but yeah, just give us a shortcut for now. If you just give us that shortcut, like kick plus medium punch right now, it doesn't change anything about drive impacts and it could help a lot of the people, older people on joysticks for better reactions. And that's how I would balance drive impacts. Um, modern controls, like I said, make it so you have to double tap a button to activate the super, just so it's not one button. So at least you have to consciously think about it. I just have to figure out, because I don't know modern controls well enough, I don't have the ability to say, I use this button combination or whatever like that. Like there's also a lot of like little testing things we'd have to do with it. See if you can accidentally option select it, do it, all these kind of things like that. <clears throat> Uh, my DI button is easily reached thumb button. I'm still too slow. Yeah, but it still requires a shift of your hand. It still requires a conscious shift of your hand instead of just blap. Instead of just buh. <laughs> I actually countered a drive impact one time because I just kind of went blap. Are foot buttons legal? Uh, I don't see why they wouldn't be. Uh, I, I think some people have tried it. Some people have something called the handbrake on theirs. But uh, yeah, it's just, uh, again, the fact that people are talking about these lengths to be able to counter DIs is a problem. <laughs> is a problem. <laughs> that is a significant indicator that drive impacts need to be something different. <laughs> JP dri JB drive impact button is on his palm. Wait, how does that work? He has a, what? <laughs> how does that work? 
Interesting. Um, oh, your thumb never leaves that, that button, even the way it's laid out? Oh, interesting. Okay. Huh. Yeah, so like I said, for supers and modern controls, I think the supers is the biggest problem. Having instant level threes and having instant level ones is the problem. And so there are lots of ways, I think one of the best ways to fix that is just to force you to actually double tap a button. Now I have heard that double tapping a button and you know, from when they remove the, the double tapping special moves, that double tapping buttons are actually really annoying for some people to do, even just a simple double tap but I, I think it's fair. And especially if you make the window for it extremely long and make it so you don't have to double tap it if, it's, if you're canceling into it, which does add some complexity. Maybe you do have to just make it so you have to double tap it. But if you just make the window really large so that you can double tap it, you know, at least within 60 frames, it works. I think that would actually work right now, so. Uh, but then it just wouldn't be something that you could do instantly. Uh, you couldn't just do it instantly. So, uh, Wolverine's first drill claw was uh, the buttons on top of each other. Heavy punch, heavy kick, medium punch, medium kick, light punch, light kick. Then it got changed to the diagonals in a later game uh, where it had to be medium kick plus uh, heavy punch. So, Oh, no, no, no. They changed it to light kick plus medium punch, I believe it was. Yeah, that's what it was. It was light kick plus medium punch. So, uh, because they added assists. Yep, of course, of course. Uh, what else are people complaining about in Street Fighter VI right now in terms of balance? What else are people really mad about, Nathan? Oh, goodness gracious. Uh, Nathan, what are you doing? <laughs> Nathan's tail is a monster, dude. Whenever he lies down on my table like this, oh, perfect, Perry. Thank you, Mifa. That's the one that I personally hate the most. I personally hate the most. When you saw me do the Idom versus Shine match, I definitely went into it a lot. A lot of top players are saying that it's random. I just don't think it's worth trying to play. I don't think it enhances the game for people to play around the concept that drive parries exist. I don't like the fact that, you know, you have to think about, oh, I'm just doing this thing. And this one time, if they just happen to drive parry and succeed, that they get to kill, kill me and kick my ass. You know, and I really don't think they expected drive people to get as good at drive parries as people are becoming. And I think uh, that's kind of a concern right now. And, you know, they did the 50% damage nerf. But that doesn't matter. The nerf literally has... God, Nathan, stop it. Okay, look, Nathan, you are making this very, very difficult for me to do this. Please, please. Oh, God. So, uh, yeah, and then there's no downside to trying a perfect parry. You can just perfect parry, and if you're wrong, oh no especially since you block and you actually gain drive gauge that way. Uh, oh, dude, it's never gone anywhere, Hot Rod Crusher. It's been here this whole time. Um, <laughs> uh, it's just been me, though. It's only me. Um, so, again, the idea isn't the damage from the perfect parry. The idea really is the advantages that you get out of it, that you can actually 
you know, uh, back throw people or, you know, do a corner carry combo or, you know, set up some sort of resources and stuff like that. So I think, uh, like I said, the way that I would fix it, honestly, is that if anybody ever perfect parries anything, it just turns into a full screen unblockable hitbox and like it turns it into a capture state and you just like push them or punch them and it just pushes them away at zero or maybe even minus one just to give you some reward for it. And it just does like a, like a thousand damage, like the, as much damage as a throw maybe, or maybe even less than that. But uh, I mean, if you take away everything from it, then it's gonna be super weak. But you know, just basically like, and you catch them and push them and you push them away and you're back to neutral. I think that would be fair. <laughs> I think that would be fair. Because, you know, a lot of characters, they get to set stuff up off of perfect parries. They get Oki. They get corner carry. They get side switch. All these things. And maybe even just make it so that once the perfect parry occurs, you hold left and right. And then when you capture them, you can decide which way you throw them. You know, something like that. That's too drastic of a change for right now. That might be a season two thing. Uh, so maybe for now, I mean, right now, I don't think you can really change anything to perfect parry except maybe drop the scaling even more, right? Just lower the scaling even more. But like I said, it's not even the damage that matters. So I don't think that that, I don't think anybody would care, but, uh, you know, for season two, I think something like that for the perfect parry would work, uh, honestly. Uh, I don't see them changing the mechanic that much. Yeah, same here, Aunt Viv. Same here. Oh, season one, Aunt Viv. Let me let me make that clear, okay? Because that's obviously different. So, uh, and I, and I mean that sincerely. That wasn't sarcastic at all. Like, there's clearly a difference. Um, but um, I just uh, I feel like there's no way to punish. Uh, <laughs> There's no way to punish drive parries enough except for throwing them. And again, like in that Shine and uh, Idom match, like Shine wasn't trying to perfect parry all that much. And then in the fifth game, he perfect parried once and then won the entire game off of that, right? He won the entire round off of that. And it's just like, like I asked, did Idom really do anything wrong? Do you, do you really want to turn Street Fighter 6, where it's hard enough to jump in on somebody, into a game where all of a sudden now, if you do manage to sneak a jump on somebody, they might perfect parry it and then basically get to kill you or knock you down? So the, one of the hardest things in the game to do is get a jump on somebody, and now at the last second, they can still perfect parry you and punish you for landing your jump attack. Like, it kind of sucks. It kind of sucks, you know? And were you wrong for going for the jump attack? Should you have accounted for that and done empty jump into throw? I mean, yeah, you can say that, but it's just like, is that how we want to play this? Is that how we want this game to be played? That's, that's really what it comes down to. And I don't think that's how the game should be played. Uh, I, I really don't think, yeah. I mean, we're seeing a lot of empty jump in to throw out there because of the perfect parry anti-air. And I think it's kind of silly, <laughs> to be honest with you. I think it's kind of silly. 
the hardest thing is, I mean, that is a question right there, is the, uh, except the jumper has nothing. They can't parry in the air, so it's not really uh, a third strike problem because at least the jumper could parry. At least they have the same defense and offense. They could jump and parry, but you can't do that in this game. Um, yeah, if you take away perfect parries, it does make Honda and Blanca stronger. Although maybe not because some characters, well, uh, would it be a problem in this situation? Because learning to perfect parry the headbutt and the Blanca ball, I hate the fact that that's actually something you have to learn against Honda and Blanca to fight them at higher levels. I think that's really bad. You may have to nerf those moves slightly, but I don't know. Like, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's tough. It's tough because you have to do it on them. But honestly, if you got the perfect parry and you got a 1,000 damage off of it and put them back to neutral... Might not be the worst thing, honestly. Might not be the worst thing. Uh, but yeah, I would say the thing is, if you always make the headbutt do small damage, then the risk and reward is really awful. There's just no reason to ever do the headbutt at the at this point. So, I mean, Honda headbutt is stupid, but it's not right because as we've seen from tiers and and tournament placements. Hondas aren't winning by headbutting people to death. They're just not. And a lot of it is the perfect parry. And a lot of it is this is just there's just ways to blow up headbutts if, if you predict it and such. Um, yeah, I hate the fact that perfect parry is kind of required to fight Honda and Blanca. I, I really dislike that. But like I can't have any success against those characters unless I learn to perfect parry those moves as well. And I, 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 it's, it's, it's frustrating to me. So, but, uh, I, I, right now before Capcom cup, we can't do anything to drive parries, but starting from season two, if I had to nerf them, I would do the capture state thing back to neutral. Honestly, I, I, that's a mechanic that they haven't used. I've suggested forever. And I feel like it's something that they need to consider. Same thing with a guard crush state. I think guard crush states are really important as well. A very useful for balancing purposes. Uh, another thing people don't like, drive reversals. They're too weak. Uh, you can't make them require less meter. Otherwise, the game will become super boring. Everybody will be drive reversaling everything all day. It has to be two bars. has to be two bars. If you make it one bar, Lily becomes unplayable. She literally just becomes unplayable. She, like, she doesn't even work as a character anymore. Um, the only thing that I would do is speed them up a little bit. Just make them a little bit faster. But, I mean, they can be annoying, too. Like, I get hit by Dalsum drive reversals all the time, and it's super annoying <laughs> fighting against Dalsum drive reversal. Man, uh, I mean, if you make it so it's not punishable, like, that's, that's not good. Uh, maybe make it minus two. Or maybe make it minus four. So that, well, see, the problem is if you make it minus four, it's still really hard to punish because you, you get pushed away a lot of times. You're not close enough to actually hit them. Um, drive reversals are hard to balance. And the fact that they're a little too weak right now is probably safer than anything, honestly. Uh, right now, I probably wouldn't do anything to them because... They're, they can be useful, but they're not, like, 
overpowered and they're not super annoying. This isn't uh, we need to nerf this thing. It's, this is a we need to buff this thing. And I think we would have to think about it a little bit more because the thing about it is dry, changing drive reversals would be necessary in this vacuum. But with every other change that I've talked about, if we nerf drive rushes, if we give everybody ODDP, some sort of ODDP, et cetera, et cetera, drive reversal might be exactly where it needs to be. Uh, it might not actually even be a problem anymore and might would just be useful as it is because we've increased the defensive options for a lot of characters. So we don't need a stronger drive reversal. So we might not even need to tweak drive reversal at all. So uh, I think that would work. So uh, JP, Dalsam, and Manon, because they don't have a lot of other options, but... Other pe players, once they get smarter, it's like drive reversals in Street Fighter V. They're super useful uh, for the players who knew how and when to use them. Like if you were fighting against Mika, you would use it on drop kicks and stuff like that, or use it on EX Zonk Knuckles from Cody and things like that. You know, there were really smart places to use them. And uh, as the game gets more mature, there will be a lot more common places that will use them in matches that make more sense uh, for a recoverable resource like that. So <laughs> I already talked about what I would do for Dalsum and no OD Amnesia would not be it, not be it at all. But uh, yeah, I guess those are kind of like the main ways that I would fix it. But really, it comes down to is I don't know if the game really needs that much of a fix. Like, honestly, everything I've talked about, I don't know if I would do everything that I suggested. I would play around with them all to see how they would work together with each other. But for sure, uh, you know, I want to see some characters get buffed. For sure, I want to see Ryu, Jamie... You know, Lily, Zangief get buffed a little bit. And again, just a tiny bit. And even right now, like, I wouldn't even necessarily nerf Luke, JP, or Ken. Like, if I buff those guys, would I want to nerf those three? I mean, maybe I would lower the damage of Luke a little bit. The only thing I really want to nerf from Ken is a standing heavy punch. I think a standing heavy punch is still a, a crime against humanity. And JP, maybe if you get hit by an amnesia bomb, it automatically does the 50% scaling. Like, maybe that's all that would need to happen for those characters right now. And that's about it. Um, and I think that would be fine, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> I would nerf Ken just to try to remove the population and ranked. I'm tired of fighting Kens. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, Dragon Lash, I mean, has significant weaknesses. The only thing that I would nerf with Dragon Lash is to give it more of a visual startup. The, the most powerful thing about Dragon Lash right now, again, a lot of people don't realize this because they just block it and they're like, this move is broken. The move has a lot of ways to stop. Dragon Lash can be beat up really badly. The problem is you can't tell when Ken does it because the startup of Dragon Lash is... And it doesn't look any different than his standing animation. Like, he's just like, like if it did like a puff of flames near his feet, like when he started, like on only the heavy one to give you something to react to, it might actually become useless. Like literally, if you gave Ken a puff of flames at his feet when he starts it up, that's enough that might almost make Dragon Lash useless. For those people who have good reactions, they will drive impact it 100% of the time. 
They just see flames and drive impact. And this is the scariest part about balancing. A lot of people don't realize how, what the actual problem of a move is or how much of something can affect it. Maybe you make the puff of smoke come out a few frames later so you don't give them like a clear, clear, uh, you know, timing to it. You can jab Dragon Lash, you can perfect parry Dragon Lash. Like there's a lot of things uh, that you can do to it. Uh, doesn't he only say how's this once he starts kicking? Like for me by that, it's too late. I'm just, I'm just blocking it at that point. But if I could actually see him when he starts it, then I'd be able to drive impact it. Um, but yeah, I mean, again, I don't, the Dragon Lash move, isn't necessarily broken because uh, it's not necessarily broken because of the post situation. In my opinion, it's broken because of the pre situation. It's the same reason why Nash's dash was so strong in season one of Street Fighter V because the first few frames of his dash didn't look like anything. The first few frames of his dash were basically invisible, so you had no animation frames to react to, which is why Nash's dash was so strong in season one. It actually had nothing to do with the fact that dashes were broken or that, you know, Nash's dash is faster, just too good. It's just that you couldn't see it coming, so you couldn't react to it the same timing you could react to other ones. Dragon Lash is really in that same situation because there are so many ways to blow up Dragon Lash. The hardest part is that we just never see it coming. And that's, that's really, really kind of, oh yeah, well there was eight frames input lag as well which was also another problem but you know even still even still uh the fact that nash's dash didn't have any animations was a problem um but uh yeah i wouldn't even nerf those three characters that much i really wouldn't because again like if we buff everybody else the ecosystem will change a lot if we buff everybody else, and I, while Ken, Luke, and JP are clearly top three and are stronger than other characters, I don't know if they're significantly stronger enough. I don't know if they're Cronin from KOF 15 uh, before the big recent patch, for example. Like, Cronin was so good enough that literally everybody had him on his team, and if you didn't have him on your team, you were wrong, and that, uh, you know... If you didn't nerf him, he'd still be too strong. Um, I don't know if Ken, Luke, and JP are in that situation. I honestly don't. I honestly don't believe they're broken. I just think that the other characters don't have enough to keep up with them. Why does Ken and Luke have a scarier corner pressure situation than Kimberly, but they get to maintain their, uh, they get to maintain their ODDPs, right? Like they're way scarier in the corner because Kim has to have the perfect setups for spray cans, and she has no range. Ken just walks back and hits Fierce Punch, and he's like, oh, I punish countered you? <sighs> oh, 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 shoot, let me low forward, and then it combos. Like, it's, it's kind of dumb. Uh, some, I mean, Corn Ocean from Blue, sorry, Ocean from Blue saying that... Um, Probably JP's normals need a little looking at. Yeah, maybe. Maybe create a little bit more of a less disjointed hitboxes on the cane or something like that. Um, perhaps, perhaps. But uh, again, is that really the problem with JP? Is that really where his strengths 
lie? You know, is that where the problems come from uh, when it comes to JP? Maybe slowing down crouching heavy punch would actually be a little bit a better thing to do, right? Make it so that the startup on crouching heavy punch is a little slower so it's harder to anti-air or something. But again, you know, if we take away, if we make it so OD amnesia maybe doesn't do as much damage, maybe, maybe we don't need to, to nerf him anymore. Maybe with that and everybody else getting buffed, we don't need to nerf JP anymore. We don't know. And I, I don't, like I said, while J a lot of people think JP is number one, I don't think he's better enough for us to justify going hard nerfing on any of these three characters yet. Everybody else can win. We just need to make it so that everybody else can win closer to as easily as those three characters. And it's not that far ahead because as you look at everybody's tier lists, most people will tier the worst characters in the game at A plus, A or B plus. Like there are no C tier characters in this game. And I truly believe that's true. I, like honestly, if you rate anyone lower than a B, I think you're wrong. Like I can justify putting like Lily, Manon, Zangief as, as B. But that's as bad as it gets. And no tier list should not be a relative scale. No, the worst character doesn't mean that they're F tier. That is not how tier lists work. Don't ever make tier lists that way. <laughs> um, so I don't think anyone could ever justifiably get lower than B. So if you buff some of those characters and it just shoots them, even if it doesn't shoot them all the way, even if it shoots them to A minus and Luke and, and, and Ken and JP stay at S plus or S, I think that's fine, honestly. Like, I think that that would be great because it's so hard to balance a fighting game so that everybody is like A plus all over across the board, right? So if we just make it so that these other characters just can win a little bit better and then win a little bit better and then win a little bit better, I think we'll get there eventually, honestly. Uh, I think that's I think that's what I think that's all we really need to do. So. Historically, have my hopes for Street Fighter balance patches been mirrored by the actual patches that are released? Uh, no, never. <laughs> my ideas for patches are almost never put into play because <laughs> I think in weird ways and uh, uh, there are so many avenues to do it. And also, my ideas for patching would probably change a lot if I actually had the ability to test them out. <laughs> <laughs> if I actually had the, the, the ability to test them, then I'm sure my opinion would change drastically. It's just I'm doing what I best can on paper. On paper, it sounds like all this stuff is great, but probably it's not as great as I thought it would be. So uh, that's just kind of how it goes. So yeah, Japan actually has Lily a little bit higher. Um, I mean, right now, a lot of people are saying Manon's the worst character, and it's actually starting to get to a point where it's hard to debate that, honestly. It's getting hard to debate that at this point. Uh, let's hope the devs are busy at work testing all sorts of balancing ideas so they can find the best ones. I mean, look, at least we know the battle planners are Matsumoto-san and Nakayama-san. And when they basically be got in charge of Street Fighter V, Street Fighter V balance patches became so much more knowledgeable and aware. And uh, Street Fighter V ended up in a great place. 
So honestly speaking, as long as they are in charge, I, I have a lot of faith in it. I mean, the fact that the game came out as balanced as it is, is a miracle unto itself. So I, I have a lot of faith in what they're doing. I really do. And, and, and which is why even if a patch comes out and doesn't implement a lot of my changes, I think that would be fine. But honestly, I think my favorite change idea right now is that if you hit drive rush, if you hit a drive rush, it's a punish counter and they stumble forward. Their hit stun is forward moving due to momentum. So that way, if I check it with a medium punch, I get a punish counter combo even at max tip range of button. So in other words, if someone comes at me and I drive rush, they drive rush at me and I hit them, they stumble forward and I can damage them. The hard part for that is that might actually nerf a lot of characters like Zangief. He kind of needs drive rushes a lot. <coughs> and so uh, if you nerf it that way, Zangief might become worse. Uh, we don't know. That would make Dalsum a god. There's another problem right there. It clearly could make Dalsum too strong. Uh, so we'd have to worry about that as well. So yeah, there's a lot of things to, to, to consider and think about and look at uh, in those kind of situations. But basically, for drive rushes, we just have to balance the risk and reward for them. And actually, to be fair, maybe if we did that, if maybe if Sim gets benefits from that, we just don't give him an OD wake up. Maybe Dalsim just is a character who's, you know what, too bad. You don't get it because your zoning is so strong. And so you just still have to stay in this land of hold that on mix-ups. Maybe you don't have to give everyone one. Maybe Dalsim is the exception. He was the exception in Super Turbo. In Super Turbo, the only characters that didn't have a wake-up were Dalsim and Bison. That was it. And maybe that's just the exception at that point. So... <laughs> Yeah, sim players have been doing that their whole life, so it's it's whatever. So, yeah, the Marisa idea that I had uh, got gets a little messed up. I'd have to think about a proper way to make Marisa work uh, um, to make her fair. To be honest with you, yeah. So maybe Odie Scootum isn't the right move to actually have her be able to tech throws automatically because she can do a follow up. And so if you know she's gonna wake up with an Odie Scootum. How do, you, how do you punish her, right? Do you just make it so that OD stance into all the moves are super minus on block? I mean, one is minus three. The other one is minus 21. The sweep is minus 24. So those two you can blow up really badly. So you might just have to make it so that OD stance into the overhead does both attacks automatically. And then Odie stands into command grab. I mean, it's obviously really punishable if you call that out as well. I don't know. Well, I'd have to think about Mar Marisa. Oh, no, you can throw Odie Scootum. So, okay, John, I'm just talking about my initial idea to fix Marisa was make it so that Odie Scootum would tech throws automatically. So she can't get out of corners. And maybe she's like minus two after she techs the throw. So she, she'll trap there. But at least she has some option to escape throw loop or attack uh, mix up if she doesn't want to have to guess between the two because uh, like I said I feel like every character should have one because this game is brutal except now maybe Dalsim just don't give him one because if we made that change to drive rush it would be too good for uh, Dalsim and so basically just make it so that uh, Dalsim just has no way to escape because <laughs> you know what too bad Dalsim <laughs> too bad uh, but um I think that's all I've got for today. 
I think that's all I, I, I have. I've been streaming for three hours talking about this already. So, um, yeah, those are my ideas. If you have any, if you can poke any holes into the ideas that I have for balancing, or if you have some of your own ideas that are literally reasonable, <laughs> please don't make unreasonable ones. Like give T Hawk a gun, okay? Like I get it, I get it. Or make Cammy's dive kick an overhead, like the Street Fighter Four one. Um, well, the way that I suggestion that I had given season one Aunt Viv is I wanted to give him an OD float that was invincible, but automatically throws a fireball. So in other words, like you could actually just attack OD float into fireball in one motion uh, from across the screen for, as an interesting thing. But as soon as he starts throwing the fireball, it becomes vulnerable. And if you're right next to him and you block that fireball, you can murder him. So then you also give him an OD teleport, which is just a little bit faster than the regular teleport. But the main thing about it is you can cancel OD float into OD teleport so then it costs you four bars to escape across the screen. And then uh, if he wants to do it, he has to really risk himself putting himself into burnout is kind of how I wanted to do it. So um, I think that would be really, really fair. If he really wants to escape, he's basically got to burn himself out to do that. Because uh, the teleport right now is startup is four frames. Can't really make it faster than that. Maybe OD teleport, I don't know. There have, maybe only OD teleport works in the air or maybe just if you chain it into a teleport, it just drains two extra bars and that's just how it works. That's just how it works. There's no such thing as an OD teleport, but if you, you can do an OD teleport off of OD float so it costs two bars for you to get away. I think that, that was my idea for Dalsum, so. Can you guys, could you hear the chirp? Meow. There you go. Meow. Meow. <laughs> Meow. 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 <laughs> Meow. You can't get this on any other podcast, ladies and gentlemen, only here on It Was Tuesday. Thank you guys for watching, and remember, <laughs> the day that this podcast graced your ears was the most important day of your life, but for me... It was Tuesday. <laughs>